The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, time to talk a little Wolves now with the athletics expert on all things Minnesota, but particularly the Wolves, uh, John Krasinski. How are you doing? Hey, Nate. How's it going, man? Uh, doing really well. Doing really well. Uh, good, good to be back. Uh, I was in your fair town, actually, for uh, less than 24 hours, so I did, didn't have time to say hi, but I did have uh, some pretty good pizza at Young Joni, which I understand is one of the better places in uh, in Minnesota. That's one of the best we have, absolutely. So you, you picked uh, right. You had the right guidance, whoever got you there, so... No, I need to spend some more time there. Uh, and it was my sister, by the way, who works at this great restaurant in Chicago called Galit, and uh, is and she uh, she knows like the best restaurants in every city. She's like really deep uh, in the restaurant industry. But yeah, I got to spend a little more time there at some point, preferably during the summer, because uh, I'm told that like <laughs> the uh, the food scene there is fantastic. It is like people do underrate it. Um, they kind of everyone who hasn't been here imagines the Twin Cities and Minneapolis in particular to be like Hoth from Star Wars, you know, just this frozen outpost. Um, And it look, it gets really cold here, but everyone who comes here and spends a little time is like, oh, you know, this is pretty nice because great theater and awesome food. Like it is a there. There's a bunch of very eclectic uh, high end restaurants um, and and even just like middle of the road restaurants that are out of this world. So people are always surprised by it, but I'm always happy to give people the tour of it when they come just to open their eyes a little bit to what we have to offer here outside of ice and snow. So uh, is that why uh, Gerson Rosas decided to uh, to take this Wolves uh, president of basketball operations job? I think so. Um, although. Uh, you, from what I understand, one of his early meals uh, that he had here was some home cooking from Glenn Taylor, the owner's wife, Becky, in Mankato at their house. So that was the deal, the meal that closed the deal for uh, <laughs> for Rosas. So I don't know. He's always said he's told me that he's a foodie and that he he wants to get after these uh, these great restaurants and stuff. But uh, um, I think that there were a few other factors that may have just been a little bit higher on his list when he was looking at, um, you know, who, why to come here, why not to? Yeah, it was an interesting GM search. They had some candidates, uh, Michael Winger among them, who, uh, you know, ended up not even interviewing. Uh, but it did seem like Rosas at least had, uh, the Wolves ahead of the Wizards because he kind of did this interview when the Wolves thing was, was all, uh, but wrapped up. What was your impression of uh, the GM search? Um, it, you know, and in particular as it related to, uh, some of the past searches that they've had? Yeah, it's, been, it was, really unique especially to what the Timberwolves have normally done um but I think really kind of unique around the league as well 
when you kind of examine some of the ways and processes behind searching for for these jobs and look it's it's a it's a difficult thing to do to find the right person to to run an organization you can make mistakes uh in the past typically Glenn Taylor the owner has has been a little more unilateral in the way that he's operated with uh with these searches you know he hired Flip Saunders because he knew Flip Saunders and he was comfortable he's always been kind of a guy who prefers to have a working relationship and a personal relationship with those who who work for him both as a coach and as a as a as a big time executive and so um he hired Kevin McHale because he was a local guy that he got to know uh back in the day um but I think after Flip passed away Glenn was sort of encouraged to go outside of the box and not to just bring in someone who uh who he knew who was in the country club as kind of is derisively referred to around here and so he hired a search firm to conduct the search for Tom Thibodeau and uh he obviously did not like how that process played out he didn't um really trust a search firm to uh to execute another search after getting someone that just was a poor fit for what the, the way the Timberwolves were run when they brought in Tom Thibodeau yeah it, it seemed like there was a struggle with Thibodeau and Taylor just from a personal standpoint. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, um, you know, in, in, in fairness to Tibbs, you know, he, he came in here and he was exactly who he is. Like, I mean, it didn't, he didn't. Yeah. It shouldn't have surprised anyone. He was the same guy he was in Chicago. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. But, um, the, I think the search firm did a poor job of identifying qualities that, um, that would have appealed to Glenn Taylor as much as just looking for someone to be a headliner and say, hey, look, we got Tom Thibodeau to Minnesota, look at us, kind of a thing. And I think that was the, you know, the the search firm's motivation from the start. And so it just didn't work out. So this time around... Um, wait, wait, are, are you implying that these search firms, like, don't actually do any better of a job than, like, someone who just, like, reads NBA Twitter regularly <laughs> could do? <laughs> I'm not even trying to beat around that bush. That's exactly what I'm saying, Nate. Some of these, <laughs> these search firms are just I, – I, I actually told Glenn after after Tibbs was hired, I said, you know, whatever you paid that search firm, Glenn, I you could have paid me a half of that, and I would have said, hey, Tom Thibodeau is out there. Maybe you want to look at him. Um, and and so that's just – yeah, these things are often a sham, um, especially in the college game. But, oh, God. Really what, you know, really what they are is uh, is a means of – of the the people who are employing them as you know covering their own asses and yeah saying, well here hey this is what was recommended to us so it's not my fault that it didn't work out and um and so yeah i'm 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 de- definitely down on search firms in general um particularly the one led by jed hughes uh when it comes to the nba but uh so yeah so with all of that said and all of that kind of disaster behind them the one thing that glenn had going for him this time around was when when they hired tom thibodeau he glenn was in the process of transitioning ceos from rob moore who was a member of the family and kind of this non-factor guy um in 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 the operations of the business department and you know was kind of responsible for bringing david khan in and that was another disaster um, and so he transitioned and he hired Ethan Casson, who had worked here before in the lower levels of the business side that went to run the 
49ers business side for a while and then came back here to start. So he was hired actually after Tom Thibodeau was hired. Um, but uh, basically, Glenn has a great relationship with Ethan. They have a lot of trust built up. And so Glenn empowered Ethan to run this search this time. And they wanted to, they felt that that would give them a better chance to get someone who fit well with what they wanted. Um, and, and wouldn't just be recommended as a way to kind of get a flashy hire, um, from, from some outside firm that had no idea of how the wolves operate. And so to Ethan's credit, what he did was understood that, Hey, I don't know basketball. Like, I'm not sure, um, you know, I, I, I have an idea of, of names and things, but I don't know the inner workings of the basketball operations. I need help with that. And so he hired, uh, Ethan hired Jim Peterson, who is the Timberwolves analyst, uh, color analyst for the, for the television, uh, broadcast as kind of a conciliary for the business, for the basketball side of things, um, to help him with that. And, and Jim does not work for the Timberwolves. He is yeah. employed by Fox Sports North. He, so it was a kind of an unconventional move to include him in that process, but they have had a long-term relationship. They trust each other implicitly. So they brought, he, he brought, Ethan brought Jim into the mix. He also added uh, John Thomas, who does work for the Timberwolves. And That's, is that a uh, former, former Minnesota forward, John Thomas, former Minnesota gopher forward, a little bit, had a cup of coffee with the wolves here, worked for, uh, played for Toronto and the Knicks and a few other teams. Um, a little bit, and he is kind of more in the youth basketball development role here uh, with the, with the Timberwolves, and so he brought a basketball perspective. But then he he Ethan also assembled kind of an eclectic group of advisors in this committee. Uh, he had an HR person, he had you know people of color, he had women on the uh, on the on the search committee, and they they just kind of tried to. Um, call a big list down to five or six people and then bring them into interview and had all sorts of different perspectives to bring to the table to try and consider everything that they could think of in what they wanted from a uh, basketball, top basketball executive. And Gerson Rosas came in, Chauncey Billups, Trajan Langdon. They had Michael Winger on and, and I think Steve Ballmer kind of sweetened the pot to keep him with the Clippers and, and, and keep him from interviewing here. Um, so they had, you know, several people that came in to interview. Um, the other, Calvin Booth from Denver was another one who came yeah. to interview. And so they ultimately, and I'll tell you, Nate, to, to kind of put a, a, a nail in this process part of the situation from at the very start, I don't think Kirsten Rosas was number one on the list. I think Chauncey Billups and Calvin Booth, both who have history in Minnesota, maybe right. been the leaders in the clubhouse, but Gerson Rosas won the job through his interviewing, through the process of it, and won some people over, and ultimately he's the guy that they decided to go with. Yeah, it's just, I've referred to Rosas as the perpetual candidate because yeah. he's had so so many interviews, and then he had that, that odd stint in Dallas where it didn't work out. He was back with the Rockets like four months after taking uh, the, the job in Dallas. I don't think he was going to be the number one basketball decision maker in Dallas, but he was pretty high up, uh, is my recollection, and... So, I mean, I guess that does speak well for the process in some ways that, you know, there was a process. Someone was able to go through that and actually change their standing by going through that process. Um, so what is your uh, assessment of uh, the Rosas era to date here? 
It's been, you know, a, a, a just complete opposite from the Thibodeau-Scott-Layden regime in a lot of ways, Nate. Um, you know, they, I think, Rosas came in and understood that you, in the previous regime, it was very much the basketball operations operate in their own little cocoon and don't really interact with other parts of the organization. And so they really alienated the business side. They alienated the Taylor family. They alienated the players to some extent in terms of the lack of communication that was going on there. And so what the um, the Timberwolves wanted and what you obvi- often see in these regime changes is the pendulum swinging from one end to the other. And so Gerson Rosas has come in and has been very available, very accessible to all parts of the organization, to the media, to players in terms of trying to communicate his vision, lay things out, make people feel sort of a part of this whole operation and really has gotten people on the same page again. And I think, you know, the early impressions that way have been very good. Um, the building, you know, some sorts of cohesion and com- camaraderie that just wasn't here before. Now, that said, we don't know how that's going to translate immediately on the court in terms of wins and losses. I mean, um, you know, you just look at the Chicago Bulls when they fired Tibbs. Everyone was doing backflips in Chicago because they got, rid of, <laughs> you know, the ornery grump. And here comes Fred Hoiberg and things are going to be so different and it's going to be open and it's going to be more community and, and all those things. And how's that worked out for them so far? So from a, from a competitive standpoint, it's, it's really impossible to say, but just from a culture standpoint, from, from that side of things, I think that the, 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 everyone is much more in the same boat now where it was totally fractured previously. Yeah. And I think that the, New, uh, the new regime has done a lot of nice things. I think they've been working harder on the margins than some of the previous uh, regimes did. You know, I think like, uh, Noah Vonley, Jordan Bell getting Shaz Napier and Travion Graham for nothing, claiming Ty Wallace off of waivers. Uh, you know, those are all kind of nice moves to maybe, you know, take a, uh, you know, Shaz Napier they got for free. He's going to be their backup point guard this year. You know, so those are, those are moves that were, and they actually, not only did they get him for free, they actually got paid to take him. So, uh, you know, those are all guys who might contribute and, you know, kind of low cost flyers, especially for a team that's as capped out as they are uh, with some of the, the big salaries that haven't been contributing up to that level so far. Uh, the only thing that I, I thought the biggest thing was picking someone with the number six pick. And, and this is, I want to get your thought on this because I thought, Hey, Kobe White is right there. Yeah. They just traded up for this pick, gave up Sharich. That's not that much to give up. Brilliant move. They need a point guard who can shoot, play next to Carl Anthony Towns. They have no other way of getting a long-term point guard on this roster. And then they picked Jarrett Culver instead. So what are your thoughts on that series uh, of moves? And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't like Culver as much personally, but obviously the organization is very high on him. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at that move and that decision in particular, um, I thought, too, when they when they traded up to six, first of all, um, I, I really think that in their heart of hearts, if, if they were to be honest with everyone, that they were hoping Darius Garland would have fallen to six. Mm. They, they didn't think 
or they they were hoping that Cleveland would not take him because they already had Colin Sexton. You know, are they going to take two point guards? Yeah, and I thought that was a great move by Cleveland to take him, even though they did have yeah. Sexton. But yeah, and it surprised me as well. Yep, and so so they got up there and thought, oh man, we you know we might be able to get. They did have conversations with Cleveland about trying to get up to five, and just found the asking price too high. Um, and so they went to six, and they thought, you know, we're going to roll the dice and try and get see if Garland falls falls to here. Um, what they have told me, and from multiple angles, is that they really viewed this as a five-player draft, um, and that they thought there was a big drop-off between their fifth player on the board, presumably Jared Culver, and number six. Um, yeah. and, and so they clearly did not have DeAndre Hunter in the top five. When, I mean, either. When, when, they, yeah, when they were evaluating <laughs> things. So they knew that Atlanta was taking Hunter at four, that they were going to get up to six and have either a chance to get Garland, who they would have preferred, or they were going to take Culver. Now, their evaluation is that they think Culver eventually is just going to be a much better player than Kobe White. I yeah. was a big Kobe White fan. Um, I, I really just love the way that he comes from a North Carolina offense that is so based on moving the basketball and sharing, and then he can shoot yeah. it. Uh, pushing the pace guy, as well. Yeah. I, I love I, I love a lot about him. They they made an evaluation that Culver was clearly head and shoulders above, and they felt that where they are in their development with the absolute need to get studs around towns in any capacity, they had to take best player available in their eyes over a position of need, which was point guard clearly the bigger position of need for them. They believe that Culver can be a combo guard uh, where he can initiate some offense, that he can make plays. He ran point guard at Texas Tech. For, a, for for some time. We'll see how that works out. They'll be judged over that over the next couple of years about how these two develop. But they really liked his work ethic. They liked his versatility. They liked his defense a lot for a team that really struggles defensively as well. And so that was their decision, and that's how they came to it. We'll have to see if over the next couple of years if they made the right one or not. Yeah, and obviously you have to stick with your own evaluation. You shouldn't, I think, at the point that they're at right now, be drafting for need. They do still have some time with carl anthony towns extension just kicking in this year and they've got five more years uh, of him right now so that's uh i think that's what you have to do you follow your process uh, i just happen didn't agree with their their ultimate conclusion but i could very easily be wrong uh, just as much as they could um so how do you see actually here let's take a quick break and then we can kind of get into their prospects uh, for this year and some of the offseason moves so I'm back home after that long road trip and my back feels great again because I'm back with my Helix Sleep mattress. It was made specially for me via their two-minute sleep quiz. It matches your body type, your sleep preferences in the perfect mattress for you. If you're a side sleeper, hot sleeper, I sleep on my back like a, a plush or a firm bed. Helix, uh, there's no confusion. You don't have to compromise. I tried the one size fits all mattresses that they say are perfect for everyone and that's just clearly not the case different body types different sleep habits different temperatures even uh that one size fits all didn't work i had to return it and i went with helix sleep instead back in 2015 and i now own three of their mattresses i was so impressed by them at the time i actually dm'd their company twitter account i was like hey uh you guys have a much better product than uh this other mattress delivery company that everyone talks about uh i would love to do some ads for you and so we've had a relationship going back to i think it was maybe like december of 2015 um 
So really just uh, one of the highest recommended products for me. And uh, looks like everyone else is on board as well now. GQ and Wired Magazine both awarded Helix Sleep the number one best overall mattress pick of 2019. And if you're not the same type of sleeper as your partner, Helix can even split the mattress down the middle and provide individual support needs for each side. They have a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out risk-free for 100 nights and they'll pick it up for you if you don't love it. But guess what? It's made specifically for you. You're going to love it. Right now, Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to get that up to $125 off your mattress order at helixsleep.com slash capspace. That slash capspace URL lets them know that you came from us. All right. So I guess we should probably talk too about the D'Angelo Russell saga which was another thing that actually kind of made me a little skeptical because i i don't think russell is that good and he you know they were really trying to move heaven and earth to get him and and uh they ultimately it was the warriors who moved heaven and earth to get him instead um in the side and trade and and the wolves ultimately didn't have a way to get him but uh, anything that that sticks out to you about that pursuit at all yeah, I think Nate. Um, you know, I wrote about that this week at the Athletic. Um, and and one of the things that it really kind of hammered home for me was that you know Gerson Rosas in his short time here has tried to 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 say that look, I'm just because I spent so much time with the Rockets doesn't mean this is that Minnesota is going to be Houston North. I do yeah. have some of my own ways of looking at things and some deviation from yeah. what we did in Houston to what they he, he's do. not really he's not really that much of an analytics guy necessarily like that's not yeah, that's not necessarily his background despite being in Houston more scouting definitely than 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 analytics for Gerson he did bring in Sasha Gupta who is definitely steeped in analytics at his at his, his number two but um yeah he's definitely more on the scouting side but one thing that is clear that is the same from Houston is that sort of star hunting mentality that you know that that aggressiveness in terms of when we think that there is someone that is available to that may be might be available to them um that is a big upgrade from whatever they have they're going after it much like Daryl Morey went after went, went after and continues to go after everyone in the sun who who he thinks is a talented player um the wolves did not have the salary cap space immediately they did not um you know, have uh, necessarily a way to fit him in uh, right away, but that didn't you know stop them from going to L.A., chartering a helicopter, trying to throw everything they had at D'Angelo Russell to get him here because they believe that as a 23-year-old, he's the same age as Carl Anthony Towns, he's on the same timeline in terms of development as Towns that he would have fit, and that they could have if they could have landed him, they could have also opened some other doors to go get some other talent that maybe would have more complemented Towns as well. And so they're, they're just going to be super aggressive in trying to pursue those opportunities. Obviously, they missed. The Rockets have missed plenty of times. If, yeah. Whether it's to LeBron or Carmelo or or um, Chris Bosh or you know any a number of other uh, trades, they tried to trade for Jimmy Butler last year when the Wolves put him on the market and couldn't get it done. So um, they're just going to be unabashed and unapologetic in their pursuit of these types of scenarios without what they say is being reckless. Like they didn't get involved in the Westbrook sweepstakes this summer. They didn't get it. They haven't been involved in Chris Paul talks because they think those guys are a little too more advanced in age. 
But um, they they just they really thought he was going to fit in well here. Towns and D'Angelo Russell are close; they're good buddies, and so they went hard after him. And they did they they really thought going into that meeting that they were going to get him. It was a you know they the, the Warriors really pulled the rug out from under them, and so um, it was it was a shock to their system, but um, one that I you can expect them to try and get involved down the road when there are other fairly young players that become available, i.e. a Bradley Beal, uh, you know, whoever else might be out there eventually. You can expect the Wolves to be trying to pursue these guys, whether they have an easy way of getting them or not. So, uh, yeah, that's a a great way of looking at it. And, you know, certainly they are a little low on assets right now and a little low on space. Although, you know, once Jang and Teague are off the books in a couple of years, maybe it'll look a little bit different and Towns will still have three years left on his deal as of that point. Um, Oh, this is is an aside here. You have any idea why Carl Towns wasn't able to or didn't want to get a player option on his extension, that five-year deal? You know what? That's a great question. Um, I've tried to find that out myself and haven't gotten a a, a great answer on it. I think that the the Timberwolves were sort of really dug in on that side of the equation in terms yeah, of good, like, good negotiating by them in that case. Yeah, yep. That, Hey, look, if we're going to commit all this money to you, you know, show that you're here and that you're all in, you've said publicly that you love, you love it in Minnesota, that you, you don't necessarily see yourself as a guy who has to have the bright lights in the big city. Well, if we're going to be able to build a team around you, the way to do that is, to have you totally committed for five total years. And Towns did, I mean, this went right down to the wire. He wasn't very happy with the Butler situation. He wasn't happy with Tibbs at the time. Yeah. But he still ultimately decided to make that happen. Um, and, and yeah, good on the Timberwolves, uh, for, for being able to do that because that is a, a big step for them, uh, in terms of trying to rebuild this thing and, 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 and reconfigure this thing on the fly. Yeah. I mean, imagine how different. Anthony yeah. Davis's or Kawhi Leonard's situations might have been these last couple of years if they had just done five full years instead of getting uh, a player option. So Towns uh, has had some comments, including to you, in which he is indicated, you know, again, that he's trying to build something in Minnesota. But he also, uh, something that as we turn more to this year's team and its fortunes, saying that basically he feel like feels like he's kind of been held back. Yeah. And I, I forget what percentage he said he was, you know, I've only been doing 60%. Forty percent, yeah, some comically low number. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, Carl, you're gonna average uh, sixty points this year. But uh, no, I, I mean, I think. Uh, why did he feel that way, and how are things going to be different now in his eyes, or, or perhaps yours? Yeah, so I mean, I think that when he was looking at it um, under Tibbs. They, they bring in Jimmy Butler, and as soon as Butler arrived, really the entire plans revolved around him um, and his playmaking ability, um, his shot making, uh, his defense, everything revolved around Jimmy. And look, Jimmy's a great player. And um, in, in some ways, you don't you, know, you can't blame Tibbs for wanting to do that. If Jimmy fit Tibbs' system and what what he thought was the way to to win ball games, but there were plenty of games, Nate, um, in the Jimmy Butler era where Towns was taking eleven shots a game, 
12 shots a game. Yeah. And, and meanwhile, Towns is like by far the most efficient player that they have. And a lot of times Towns was either relegated to just posting up or a little pick and pop and shooting some threes. And so what Carl Anthony Towns believes is that he can do so much more than that. Um, he and Jokic have a rivalry. Uh, they, they, I don't know if they care for each other all that much. Um, there is sort of this budding of heads as these two versatile young bigs. And I think that Towns believes that if he's put in the right system, he can be a Jokic type player in terms of passing the ball. Um, he has been working a lot this summer on ball handling. Ryan Saunders has said there's going to be some scenarios where he is actually a ball handler in the pick and roll. Um, he, they, he, they also want Towns to be able to start the initial break sometimes when he grabs a long rebound. He can take it up the floor himself, so he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. And I think that's what we're talking about is a uh, an offense that really kind of revolves around him. And really, Nate, they don't have much choice because... No, they don't. I mean, who else do they have, right? So you have this player who is legit a top 10 to 12 player in terms of offensive capabilities in the league. Yeah, I, has, I might even put him higher than that, yeah, frankly. Might be tops eight or seven just in terms of offense. Um, but And then around him are a bunch of really limited offensive players. It's going to be the Carl Anthony Towns show this year, and he has a, an opportunity to have just a monster offensive season in the way that they're building this thing around him, and I think that's what he's getting at. I mean, 40%, yeah, who knows um, about that, that exact number, but he does think that he has a lot more to show, and the Timberwolves are going to give him that opportunity to show um, all of those skills. Well, and I think the other way in which you could say he wasn't maximized were some of the lineups yeah. around him. I mean, this team for years has had a chronic lack of shooting. You know, they'd play him next to Gorgie Jang. They'd play him next to Taj Gibson, who tried to stretch it out at least to the corners, but, you know, he's not being respected there. Um, you know, Andrew Wiggins has struggled to shoot the ball. Uh, they've, you know, a Kogi who, you know, we'll see where, where his shot is at. The summer league wasn't too encouraging there, but, uh, you know, it, it's, and uh, this parade of wings who are, you know, mediocre shooters at best. So I think now, and with Covington out last year, we didn't really get to see him play at all in the Ryan Saunders era, but they were good when Covington was there. So I think the personnel certainly uh, is going to help there uh, as well. Um, so who do you see rounding out the starting lineup uh, for this group now? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the fourth of the five spots. Um, I mean, it's obviously, I think it's Teague at point guard, Wiggins on the wing, um, and then Covington. You know, Saunders has said that they like the, the idea of Covington at the four in a small ball lineup uh, to try and stretch as yeah. things around towns a little bit more. Um, they really have no other options shooting wise. So I, I do think you're going to see a lot of that. And then it's, then I think it really does come down to that, that other spot, Nate, is going to probably be kind of in flux, especially in the early part of the season to see what works the best. But the, the, the options are if you want defense, which this team has historically been one of the worst defensive teams in the league yeah. for the last ever. If you want defense, maybe it's a Kogi. Um, and so you have, uh, his kind of pit bull perimeter defense to complement, uh, the rest of those, the, that group. Um, if you want, um, kind of offensive playmaking. Maybe it's Culver, Jared Culver in that, in, in, yeah. in that spot. Or 
the other, you know, the other guy that a lot of people are talking up right now in terms of the summer that he's had is Jake Lehman because they like his ability to move uh, without the ball, to cut to the basket, to open things up. That what we saw from the Wolves in summer league was a team that really does want to move the ball and have a lot more motion in their offense than they had these previous three years where a lot of it was Butler and Teague and Derrick Rose dribbling the air out of the ball. And so if that's important to them, maybe Lehman is the guy that they plug in there in spots and gives them some switchability uh, defensively as well with his size. Um, and, and so they're going to kind of rotate through. Or finally, Nate, if they, if they have to go big, if they're playing Memphis or Detroit or somebody like that, uh, maybe it's a Noah Vonley uh, in that in that starting lineup and gives them a little more toughness and a little more rebounding next to Carl Anthony Towns. So I I, I think that you know, they don't have a clear cut guy that belongs there, and so I think you're going to see multiple looks. Ryan Saunders in the in the sample size we saw last year will play unbelievably creative and different lineups from you know, from quarter one to quarter four and throw kind of throw the noodles against the wall and see what sticks. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of variation that we see depending on matchups, depending on who's playing well together. And it's going to take some time for that to sort out. Yeah, the thing that sticks out to me looking at this roster and Carl Anthony Towns, you know, he's been a top 10 offense by himself basically yeah. for most of his career. And, you know, point guard, you know, maybe Jeff T can come back if we give him the benefit of the doubt. I think Napier is a fine backup point guard. But at the two through four positions, you really have, and Vonley I thought was okay as a backup center last year, but as, as a four, you know, he's not really a good enough shooter. Robert Covington is really the only player at the two through four positions who even really has given you quality rotation minutes last year. You know, I, I mean, Akogi showed some promise, but, you know, he's just not there offensively yet. Uh, you know, Wiggins had just a terrible season. I'm sure we'll talk more about him, but so they are really, really dependent, uh, on Covington. And just, you know, they had some departures. Obviously they maybe had a little more depth last year, but it's obvious why as soon as he went down, their season was done as well. And I think that they're just incredibly dependent upon him again this year to provide two way play at those two through four positions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you remember, Nate, when, when he and Sarge first came over in November of last year, they had about it. 11 or 12 game run where they were playing top 10 defense during that very small sample size because Covington was just an unbelievable pterodactyl just swooping around and covering for everyone and helping towns and, and blocking shots and locking up perimeter guys and, and also hitting three pointers as well. And um, when he went down, you know, everything went with it and he did not play, as you said, under Ryan Saunders. And so he is, he is their second best player. Um, he's remarkably important to what they do on both ends in terms of spacing um, on the offensive end, in terms of defensive intensity on the other end of the floor. And so you could either put him at the four and, and help him, you know, have him help Towns and attach him that way, or you can put him on the perimeter and help Teague, who's not particularly good defensively, um, with, with some of the quicker point guards. They just, they need him to be healthy this season for them to have a chance to surprise people and be kind of a plucky, more competitive fringe playoff team. Um, and you know, that I think there are some concerns about his knee long term and how that's going to hold up right now. There's optimism yeah. he's in town. He's working out and everything is good. But, um, if he can stay healthy, they're a different team 
Uh, he showed that last year how immediate his impact can be. Um, and so to have him around will be critical for them to be staying relevant, you know, going into this season. Yeah. And Gerson Rosa is saying that both Teague, uh, who had a foot and ankle procedure uh, at the end of last year and Covington are on track uh, for training camp with no restrictions uh, as, as should be the case given the timetables that were uh, announced uh, at the time uh, they had those, uh, procedures. Let's talk about Teague here. They're very reliant on him. They obviously wanted to upgrade there. He probably smartly opted into 19 million. Too bad for him that he had such a, an injury hit year because I think, you know, given the money that some point guards got, he could have gotten a, a nice new deal. Uh, but you know, he, he's, uh, now getting into his early thirties. Um, it, you know, I mean, can we write off last year's decline? Cause I thought he was actually pretty good in his first year with the Wolves. Can we write off last year's decline as just a, a product of the injuries? Uh, or do you think this is the new level for him where he's not necessarily going to be, you know, providing adequate production as a starter? Well, I, I do think that, that you can chalk a lot up to the injuries last year because when he, like, when he did play, uh, and when he was healthy, they had a winning record last year. Yeah. I think it was like 24 and 20 or something like that, or, uh, you know, right around those lines. And this is a team that won 36 games. So that tells you that he can be impactful, um, when, when he is out there and, and when he's playing. And he's kind of a, a weird guy to get a handle on because, he, he's a little bit moody. Um, he'll go through these stretches. You know, there's kind of a joke that, that a few Britt Robson and I have, um, you know, here when we're watching Wolves games is that no, there is no better player in the league than Jeff Teague after he's turned the ball over because he makes <laughs> a stupid pass when he's, he's a terrible post entry passer. He gets at least one or two picked off a game trying to en- enter into the post. But whenever he does, then he like turns into like this hyper guy and gets a steal, steals it back, goes the length of the floor three-point play like guarantee you can set your watch to it um but he did he averaged like a career high 8.2 assists last year um and there is hope within the wolves organization that he's going into a contract year if that ankle and foot is is healthy that he can be a good point guard for them can he be a top eight point guard league no probably not point guards are very diff- deep position in the league right now but um he can definitely show more than what he did last year now the real question is nate that does is it because he's getting past 30 does that mean just his body is going to start breaking down more and more and it's going to be hard for him to stay healthy that that's entirely possible he was a pretty durable guy in the previous five or six years before last season so maybe it's just the mileage and everything is adding up and he's going to have more breakdowns but if he can stay healthy he is going to you know have a chip on his shoulder trying to prove that he deserves one more big payday i think that there is reason for optimism that he could have a good year for them i have a prediction for you i'm gonna predict that jeff teague will be on the minnesota timberwolves in the 2021 season interesting because they don't they don't have cap space yeah uh napier is also a free agent i mean they would have to basically bring in someone at the mid-level exception and i think t could provide you know especially with the point guard market so inflated i think t can provide a little bit better production uh or at least the uh hope of a little bit better production than that uh so i think he as long as he stays healthy i think he could actually be back because they'll just they're still so capped out they have no way to replace him well and it'll be interesting too because when you look at the free agent crop next year it's not very good right yeah it's atrocious so like there is going to be more money to spend he may 
get some team to just say, hey, we'll give you, I don't know, X amount of dollars. And the Wolves have already proven to be a little more pragmatic that in, in that way. I mean, Gerson Rosas wants to preserve his flexibility or at least scratch back some flexibility over these next couple of years. So by Towns' year three of entering that contract, that they have the ability to go out and make a big splash. And so um, they he, Gerson let Tyus Jones go to Memphis on a three-year, twenty-six million dollar deal, which to me, like I, you could you could make an argument for signing him to that deal, and then if you just want to trade him, you can figure out ways to move him over these next couple of years. But he absolutely did not want anything clogging the books. So we'll see if if he. If he looks at it from a, hey, we just need a point guard, so we don't really have any other chance but to keep Teague, or do they just say, even if there is not an, uh, a clear-cut option for us available in free agency to replace this guy, um, if they still try to preserve that space at all costs. I'm not sure how they're going to do that. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about two years from now, in twenty the, that halcyon summer of 2021 that we're going to be hearing so much about with this summer kind of looking like a dud and some of the free agents that are available. They only project as of now with nothing else on the books, you know, no no draft picks. Uh, let's see, does that include Culver? Yeah, it does. So, so, uh, but no draft picks from the next two years, no other signings that go through that summer. They only have 24 million in space, yeah. you know, not even enough room to give a max contract two years from now with, you know, Wiggins and Towns both making 31 million. And then, you know, they've got a few other lower contracts. That's the last year of Covington Steel. So even with Teague and Jang off the books, you know, it's going to be hard for them to be major players. I'm sure they can get creative and maybe they could, but they don't have just like this mother load of salary cap space sitting out there for until like four years from now, even. Well, that's what, then that's where the Wiggins deal just kills them, right? I mean, like, yeah. you, when you give somebody a max deal, you need, borderline all-star level production at the very minimum yeah i mean if he could just be like a good starter for them at this point i think they'd probably be happy i mean because because uh, on the wing that production is actually pretty valuable yeah but it's uh, like it's not even uh you know he's not even giving them that um i mean i guess we could probably turn to him now uh of just what how did he have the worst season of his career i mean i know this is, is quite an enigma so mm-hmm. uh putting putting you on the spot here when no one else can figure out the answer to this question either is is kind of you know, not that cool but i mean just where is he right now what happened last year like is there is there any hope are you willing to write him off like, how are you feeling about him at this point yeah it's you know look he he um he had a bad year no doubt about it it looks like what what they were hoping when they brought jimmy butler in was that jimmy's competitiveness and attitude and intensity would sort of draw something out of Andrew Wiggins and allow him, you know, give him a roadmap to follow to take the next steps in his career and become more of a force. And instead, it really looks like it caused him to go into a turtle shell um, and to just like retreat. And um, when you look at it, uh, you know, there was a point last season, I want to say in like early February, at, long after Tibbs had been fired long after Jimmy Butler was gone. But even still after that, Wiggins had was still a guy that was just settling for mid-range jumpers. And, and one of the hallmarks that 
like gave them promise early in his career in his rookie season, his first couple seasons is he was so aggressive going to the rim and getting to the foul line and dunking on people and, and, and things like that, that you said, Oh man, if he can just put this, this stuff together and sustain it, he can really become a force to be reckoned with and someone that's really difficult to handle. He did it against Oklahoma City last year in Ryan Saunders first game, got to the line like 19 or 20 times and just was overwhelming. Paul George and, and anyone they threw at him. So he has that in him, but he just never, he just didn't do it often enough. And he had a game in, in, in early February where he had a big dunk finally. And it was like his 10th dunk of the season, some ridiculously low number. And I went yeah. to him afterward and I just said, Andrew, why aren't you dunking the ball anymore? And he kind of laughed, but he, he just said, look, um, over these last couple of years, I've sort of lost my mojo that way. And the implication was, is that as the, the, well, wow, he actually, he actually said that, huh? Yeah. He said it. Yeah. And he, and he, you know, and the implication was as the wolves kind of pivoted to a Jimmy Butler, Derek Rose centered offense, they did ask Andrew to kind of stand in the corner more. And he, instead of, like being assertive and saying, give me the ball and I'll go to the rim and I'm going to make something happen. He just let himself disappear. And, um, and so I think that mentality carried over. And so the only way to get him back to even like a useful player in this league is for him to rediscover that. And maybe this time around with Jimmy Butler gone with Ryan Saunders in an offense, I think that will, that will feature Andrew a little bit more. Maybe they can get things going for him in that way a little bit. Um, he is a guy that scored over 40 points seven times in his career. So it's not like he's a complete Boston has never done anything. He's had multiple flashes of big time, uh, performance and production. They just have not come nearly enough. So I really think that, you know, this is kind of the last year for anyone who is holding out even a smidgen of hope for Andrew Wiggins. If it doesn't happen yeah. now, age, age 24 season age this year, 24, he's got a coach he respects and likes who's going to try and, and empower him more. Um, he's going to have more responsibility. They're going to try and get up and down a little bit more and get him some more easy buckets. It's going to be less half court oriented. Like things are going to be in his favor. And so it's up to him though. You know, look, he's, he, he frustrated people at Kansas with his kind of in and out energy. He frustrated Flip Saunders his first year, a player-friendly coach with his in and out energy. He frustrated Sam Mitchell, who was more of a disciplinarian. He frustrated Tom Thibodeau. He's had all these different coaches. And so sooner or later, you got to say, it's on you, Andrew, to start doing it. And if it doesn't happen this year, you know, I, I think that everyone would be fully understandable if they just said, look, this guy just doesn't have it. And he's just going to be one of those sad stories of potential unrealized. Do you think he just doesn't work that hard? I think that things come have just come too easily for him. Um, I think that he works hard, but he's not maniacal that way. But when you look at look at his career, so he has been in the spotlight. Even you know he's Maple Jordan when he was a kid in Canada, yeah. uh, number one recruit in Kansas. He 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 had a decent season at Kansas, but not a jaw dropping one. And yet he no. still goes number one overall. And so then first season as a rookie, he, he plays okay, but the, 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 the rookie class around him is such an abomination. 
he's really the rookie of the year by default, but he's still got the rookie of the year award. And then, you know, he's going on, he's scoring points for the Wolves. He's scoring at a good level. He averaged like 24 a game the year before he gets his max contract. But there were so many other things that he didn't do, but he still gets the full five-year max. So he's been rewarded time and again for relatively, you know, pedestrian efforts. And so he's never been in a point where he has been having to claw and scratch for what, you know, he's had to accomplish here. And so either at college or at the pro level. And so I just think that it's never been a challenge for him or he's never had a reason to have to absolutely throw everything that he is into this. And so that's why we've seen, you know, these efforts and, and, and things like that. And so, you know, to me, the key this year for the Wolves in trying to bring something out of him is to use the stick as much as you use the carrot, where if he's not hmm. doing what you're doing, what you want him to do, if he's having these, these Wiggins games where he's totally checked out, put him on the bench. Don't play him. But, yeah. Well, yeah. well, good. The good thing is they have such amazing depth at the wing position yeah. that they could just, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm tongue in cheek there. I mean, that, you know, I think they still, he might still be the best option even playing, you know, the way, the way that he has. I, I think, you know, it's, uh, it's funny. I, I, I mean, that's, that'll be interesting to see. I mean, cause, you know, I'm looking at, at, uh, his career history here, you know, he basically was at a league leading level of minutes the first yeah. four years of his career. And, and perhaps, you know, I have seen a little bit like, I mean, when I asked about him working hard, part of the reason I think is, you know, I think his athleticism, if anything, has declined. You know, he hasn't really gotten much stronger. He has a good frame, you know, I think, but he hasn't really like, it seems like he's made that a a priority what i've asked so what i've heard from him is that about him is you know he'll do the stuff that you put in front of him yep. but he's but he won't you know he's not really like a self-starter uh right. necessarily um but just just so we have it here you mentioned the dunks career low 39 dunks 20 fewer than in any other season it is first three years he was over 75 each year um he was uh not actually he actually had a higher usage rate last year than he did the year before but career low true shooting um almost close to a, a career low uh, in free throw rate uh and he's really just been trending downward career low 12.4 pr and so you know the basically since butler arrived you know people thought oh well it's because butler is here and you know he has he's having the ball but you know butler leaving obviously didn't help him at, at all either so i mean he's you know at this point it seems that the wolves would probably be happy to get you know the guy that he was in his second and third year when he looked like he might actually be on the rise uh you know and at least was giving them league average efficiency from a scoring perspective but now it's uh you know it's it, i mean I know I was always lower on him than everyone else, but I even I did foresee this precipitous of a decline. Not to I just thought he wasn't going to improve that much. Right? Yeah, that's. I mean, the, I think you're right in terms of they would love to see Wiggins year three again, even with the faults. But I think the other thing that they were always hoping that he would develop into a good defender because look, he's athletic. Uh, he has long arms. He has good size. Um, but he has not been. And, and so, um, they need better effort, just straight effort from him on that side of, of the floor as well. And, and so that they, they just have a, a lot that they're hoping 
to turn the corner on because, I mean, let's face it too, even if they wanted to trade him right now, uh, they couldn't because no one's taken that contract. Do, do you think that's true? That you, have you, I, I think, I, I think last time we talked about this, we, we talked about this and you said you asked around and that, you know, that there kind of might be, when I asked that question, you know, there's still a thought that, Hey, maybe some of the ex player GMs, you know, who are kind of more scouting focused might, uh, might still be interested. But do you, you think at this point there's, uh, there's no way? Yeah. I, I don't think right now there is much of anything out there. I mean, they could, you know, they, I, could they have, tra- they could trade a bad contract for a bad contract, maybe, um, and, and just kind of swap deck chairs on the Titanic, but, um, they're not getting anything, I don't think, remotely close to, um, fair value, not fair value, but to, to positive return for him right now. So, you know, even if he gets back up to a level where he is contributing and a, and a decent starter for them, at the very minimum, it might bring some trade people to the table and, you know, allow them to say, Hey, look, he is turning the corner. You just have to put him in the right situation. Uh, and he's, you know, he's a young, athletic, exciting player. Look, you, you go, Hey, Charlotte, you know, don't you need somebody? Give it a shot or something yeah. like that and see if you can do something to just unclog your, your salary cap space for the next three or four years after that. But yeah, right now, I don't get the sense that there's anybody, you know, banging on the door, offering it to anything even remotely enticing for the Wolves to to look at. Yeah, I mean, and, and, you know, something along the lines of a lesser version of the Westbrook-Paul trade where maybe you get someone who's equally disappointing, doesn't have the upside, but their contract ends a little earlier. You know, that might be something that I would even consider settling for. But, you know, it's going to be a new system. It's a new training camp, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he's been working out. We've seen it. Yeah. You know, he's working Didn't play for now. Team Canada. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, he's going to be right. So. You know, it, but it, it, like, look, I, I am in the same boat as a lot of people. I have not given up on him. I think that there is a possibility that he, you know, at least gets back to being an asset on a team, you know, if not like a, a star yeah. or anything. But yeah, it not not necessarily a contractual asset, but just like someone who actually helps. Helps exactly. Someone who helps you on the floor win games uh, occasionally, but. Um, but I, I definitely am in, you know, in the, I'll believe it when I see it mode, you have to see him sustain it for months at a time and not just have one or two good games here and there where you go, Oh, wow. Maybe it's, maybe the light bulb's coming on. And then he goes into a, you know, a 10 or 12 game funk where you, you just don't see him again. So, um, it, 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 he's got to prove that. And he is in that, that's, that's, he's put himself there. That's where he's. He's got to show that things are different and that that he's more comfortable and that this is the better spot for him. But uh, I, I blame zero people for being skeptical or or checking out until they see it on a rather consistent basis. All right, so we got about 15 minutes left here. Quickly, how do you see the front court situation working out? You know, among the traditional bigs, if Covington is going to start at the four, you got Towns at the five. You've got then Jordan Bell, Gorgie Jang, Vonley, maybe uh, Keita Bates, Job gets in there as well maybe layman would play some four wiggins could move up you know who do you see as having the biggest roles out of that group yeah i think that um it's going to be a lot of it is going to be matchup oriented um when you when you see 
you know, who are they playing against and what do they need? Do they need Jang's size and muscle um, and rebounding? Do they need maybe a little more quickness with Jordan Bell? Um, I think Vonley is a guy who will get good run um, with with that front court uh, when they need rebounding and, you know, and some and some length. I mean, his his arms are like eight feet long. I mean, and he's one of just the bigger, bulkier guys on a team yeah. that doesn't have a lot of bulk. So um, so I think that I, I, I think they are, though, uh, Nate, I think they're pretty intrigued by what Jordan Bell might be able to give them. They think that I've, I've always liked him. Yep, they think that he is not just a, you know, 10 minute a game rebound and defend and, 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 and score near the basket type of a guy. They think that he can be. A guy that, again, they're, they might give him the green light to start the break a little bit. They want to put him in, in, in positions where, you know, he can handle it a little bit. He can shoot it a little bit. Um, and, and so they want to see what they have there with him. And so I think he's going to get a lot of looks and I think they see a little more versatility in him than they do Noah Vonley. Um, and, and maybe even Gorgie Jang as well. And so if they are going to stay a little smaller, I would, I would think that Jordan Bell will have at least initially a little leg up on the others in the rotation minutes perspective. Um, you know, then, then what do you do then? I mean, you, you also look at, I think Layman can play the four in it's small ball four in some situations. They'll play three in others, Covington's as well. There's a lot of guys that can are, can shuffle between two or three different positions, um, and and so we'll have to see how that all shakes out. But I'd say that Jordan Bell is one that they really think, you know, just kind of got overshadowed, rightfully so, in the Warrior system. I mean, he's an afterthought because they have so many great players. That is not going to be the case in Minnesota. So maybe there's a little bit more of a chance for him to kind of spread his wings a little bit. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. I think Bell definitely makes a lot of positive plays on both ends, but he also makes a lot of mistakes. And that drew the ire of Steve Kerr with the stakes that the Warriors were playing for. They felt like, hey, you know, we can't like give this guy minutes. Now, when they were forced to, I felt a lot of times the good plays outweighed the bad. You know, and there was a feeling, obviously, with like some of the pranks that he pulled and, you know, a feeling that he didn't have the most professional attitude and stuff, too. And, you know, he is older. He's like 25. Uh, so, uh, or I think he will turn 25 this season as an older rookie. Um, but no, I, th- I think he can make some plays. And, you know, if you start to look at a, a second unit possibly that has a Kogi and Covington and Bell on it, you know, that would be, and maybe you could throw Culver in there yeah. too. That would be a group that actually, you know, would have some speed, some defensive playmaking that it could be a, a fun group. My big question here is, you know, what's going to happen on the second unit at the four? Is it going to be Vonley? Probably doesn't provide a ton of shooting you know i think this second unit could really struggle to score mm-hmm. when towns is out maybe what you do is you have you play von lay you, you're probably gonna have to get some minutes from traditional guys at the four play him next to carl towns which again you know you're kind of you're not optimizing towns you're just like making towns pick up these offensively spacing challenged units but maybe you just have to do that and then you bring covington back in as the four uh when towns is out of the game so at least you have some spacing and you know maybe a Kogi and Culver and Wiggins you know can give you just enough there when Towns is out of the game so uh but I I think that's going to be a difficult balancing act 
for Saunders to work out that rotation at the the four in particular and you know there's I think they have some some outs there but they also don't have guys really have provided established production either yeah that's a lot of these guys that they brought in I mean you know Trevion Graham and um you know and, and Bell and Vonley and even Jake Lehman to an extent and a few other they are kind of prove it types of contracts and 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 hoping that they can show more with bigger roles um but yeah we don't know how they're going to react to that just yet and the what what we did see last year when Covington was healthy and Tibbs was still coaching a lot of times they did pull Covington a little early in the first quarter and then came back with him at the start of the second when Towns went to the bench as sort of that centralized figure um, who could play on both ends, good communicator, uh, knows how to play, that really did try to start to bind that second group together. And I would imagine that there's a, a scenario like that probably playing out in Saunders' mind as he's sketching out this rotation as well. I mean, you throw Shabazz Napier out there again, too, and that, you know, that'll be, it'd be interesting to see what he brings um, from a playmaking dynamic. Uh, as a point, as the second point guard, but yeah, I mean, if if Culver yeah. can give them some dynam some dynamic play, uh, you know, off the bench early uh, with that second group, and then yeah, you you put in Covington and maybe Wiggins or or others, you can probably make it work. But it is going to be a challenge, especially from a shooting aspect of it. I mean, they they yeah. don't have they still don't have much shooting um, outside of Towns and Covington on the roster. It wouldn't shock me to actually see a fair use of some units with Napier and Teague together, depending on the defensive matchups, just because Napier is their only perimeter guy who can make a shot outside of Covington right now. So, um, I mean, that's being a little harsh on Teague, but Napier is really the only guy that you're like, okay, we really got to guard this guy. You know, he, you view him as an above average three point shooter. Um, all right, you, uh, we, we talked a lot about kind of the, the overall situation. So we, we don't have to hit too much on like the, the strengths and weaknesses of this team. Um, but, and, and we've hit on some of them already. So let's, uh, let's get right to, uh, predicted record for the 2019 20 Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, this is, uh, it, it's a hard one with all the new faces, both coaching staff and on the roster to really get a handle on. I mean, you look at the rest of the West. And they all got markedly better um, right around them. I think, you know, the Lakers, Pelicans, Dallas, Sacramento, like they're all, I mean. All, yeah, even Phoenix, some even production Phoenix, systems yeah. have them higher. Yeah, um, And and the Wolves, you know, they, they, they said goodbye to Gibson. They said goodbye to Derrick Rose. They said goodbye to Tyus Jones. And they brought back guys who may fit better. But the the whole faith that that they have built around it that they can surprise people is that the system and the chemistry is going to make up for a lack of talent, and that's always a, a, a shaky limb to walk out on. So, I mean, I I tend to think that they're prop, you know, I think uh, you know, thirty five or thirty six wins, which is where they were last year, is probably a realistic option again for them uh best case scenario robert covington is healthy at all year and is impactful as he was last year and then maybe they can sneak up into those low 40s and 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 hang around for a um for a playoff you know position and just like be on the periphery and the fringes of playoff co- uh conversation and worst case scenario is towns gets hurt or something and then they're down into the 23 or 22 win types and and you're tanking for the for the top pick in the draft again but so i'm going to go somewhere in the middle there probably 35 36 wins and 
and and just see if that uh, if that holds serve for for one more year before they think they can take a, a another leap in year two of the Rosas Saunders regime. All right, I got to pin you down here. Thirty five or thirty six? Uh, give me thirty six. Let's just say it. Okay. Yeah, where are you at? Oh, I'm I'm uh I'm pretty close to there. I mean, I think it's just I'm very concerned about the depth. Any kind of an injury to Covington, they're just not going to win games, I don't think. I mean, they, they do, again, have... I mean, there are ways that this team could come through to me and could get into the... You know, I don't think they, they would be in the playoff mix, given that I expect that to be a fairly high bar. But, you know, I could see them being around 500, maybe a little better than that. Uh, you know, I think I, I have so much respect for what Carl Anthony Towns can do offensively. Your hope would be that this could be maybe the better defensive group that they have. Although, again, some of the defenders that they have are, are younger guys. Uh, again, it's also very dependent on Covington. So, uh, you know, I think... Because they're so dependent on Towns, because they're so dependent on Covington, you know, I could see their starters actually being pretty competitive, but just the the lack of depth or any kind of an injury really just killing them. So I'm kind of right there too. I think I'll go with 36 uh, as well. Um, I guess if I had to pick, now nah, you know what I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go 37 because I, I was sort of thinking about it. Like if I had to pick whether they're gonna be above or below that, I'd probably go above. I mean, I guess that you know the tank could get rolled up if they had some early injuries, so mm-hmm. that's that's a concern. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, how much do you want to believe that Robert Covington is just this absolute transformative figure for the defense? I mean, there are certainly many teams that have fallen in love with a 10 or 12 game stretch when everyone was healthy and like, oh, this is now our new baseline. And, you know, it very rarely turns out that way. I mean, there's always, there's reason for optimism with just about every team in that regard. You know, the Bulls were really good in February last year, but overall they weren't any good. You know, there, there's a lot of those. The, the Suns had some really nice stretches for, you know, 10 games as well. Um, but I think it's going to just be really hard for them to sustain. I mean, I think there could be times when you're the time like, oh, hey, the Wolves eight and two in their last ten games. Wow, like you know. But I, I just, I think they're going to struggle to sustain it. So I, I would go thirty seven there, and then uh, what do you see as their best case scenario? I, I would say probably I would go as high as forty five wins for yeah. for their best case scenario. That's what I think too. I was going to say forty five because um, if everything comes together, if these new systems that are being put in place, both offensively and defensively, just fit the pieces that they have. And the the other thing that what the Wolves are really hoping for is that, look, it's hard to understate or overstate how fractured that team was over the last year and a half. I mean, it was – there was no chemistry at all. Uh, everyone was miserable all the time. And the hope is, is that – you get a, just better feelings about each other and about, you know, the whole operation and that will translate as well. Again, that's best case scenario. And yeah, then I think, and again, Covington stays healthy. Um, Towns, you know, has a monster year and Wiggins turns into maybe your third or fourth best player instead of your like your seventh or eighth. Uh, yeah, then, then I think they, they do have upside to get up to 45 and, and to be plucky and, and to be competitive in the West. What do you think of Ryan's the job that Ryan Saunders did last year? By the way, he, he's very well regarded, yeah. but certainly with him being Flip Saunders' son, I mean, and some of the decisions that the organization has made in the past, you're a little wary that there could be some nepotism involved there. But you know, he seems to have gotten rave reviews. There wasn't really much of a process as far as potentially replacing him this off season. I mean, has he earned this in your view? so far or is it just kind of he's got some potential and we'll see well yeah it's it's an interesting case because locally here there there's a a real divide when hardcore wolves fans are 
looking at Ryan Saunders. Some, there are some who really love it, who think that, hey, you know, the only time that this team has even been close to relevant and successful is when Flip was coaching or being the executive. And Ryan is like a carbon copy of Flip in a lot of ways. And so there's like this really good feeling about a that part of it. But also he is a really good communicator and a a guy who relates to the players very well. And so all of the players just love having him as their coach. I mean, even last year, you're talking about like Taj Gibson, who was like the Tib soldier of Tib soldiers. Uh, raved about Ryan Saunders and the way that he communicated with, with him, the way that he included players on decision making and brought them into the process. He has a way of uniting them that way that gets, I think gets guys to want to play for him. He also has been an assistant in the league for like 11 or 12 years. So he is very, very young. Um, but he has, you know, he has paid his dues some to get to this point. Now there's another side of the equation where the kind of the, the, the jaded Twit Timberwolves fan, and they have every reason to be jaded given all of the, the dysfunction that has befallen this franchise over the last 15 years, especially is they say, Oh, look, no one else in the league would have hired Ryan Saunders as head coach. It's just that they want this fuzzy, you know, warm fairy tale story. He didn't earn it. They should have gone and gotten someone else. And, you know, this is, you know, this is ridiculous. Like that shouldn't, shouldn't be the case. So there are, there is a healthy portion of people who are wanting to see him prove it. it what I saw from him last year, it's very hard to judge, Nate, because sure. he didn't have Covington. Um, Derek Rose was hurt for a lot of it. Tyus Jones missed a bunch of games. Like he was running out. Point guard. Yeah, Teague Bayless. was hurt. Teague, like Teague was hurt practically the whole time. He's he's playing Jared Bayless, Isaiah Kanan um, at point guard. He's playing C.J. Williams at point guard. Some he was he had to rely on Cam Reynolds and like he was shuffling in lineups. I mean, their best lineup for a, for a small smidgen um, of of his time there uh, over the second half of last season had Luol Deng at the four and. And just because he was competent, he made just such a difference in what yeah. they were able to do. And then he got hurt um, and, and went out. So there were some G League level lineups that he had to to um, to deploy. So I don't know how you judge based off what you saw from what he had to deal with last year and what he's capable of. All I do know is that the players really like playing for him. I do like the staff he's assembled with David Vanterpool, Pablo Prigioni, Brian Gates, Kevin Hansen from New Orleans is well well respected. Uh, they they have a good staff in place to help him, um, and he's going to go through growing pains. He's going to have to figure some things out. He's going to make some mistakes, but I I think that from what I have seen in the way that he kind of operates, I I'm optimistic about his chances of being the coach for for a while here he just he loves it he wants he's so personally invested in the wolves i think that matters and i think he has gotten players to bought in to buy into what he's selling and so now it's you know now it's up to see it see if we can he can put it together in the regular season but um but i i i am optimistic about what he can be as a young innovative coach willing to experiment, try new different things and, and, and see what happens on the fly. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they did have so many injuries, so maybe maybe this can't be answered at this point. But just in terms of like on the floor from a system perspective, did you get any impression of just like what it is that he's trying to prioritize that, that's going to drive uh, winning games? You know, what he's what he's really a believer in? Yeah, so um, I, I don't think you can look at uh, what he did on the floor last year at, with all of the injuries and, and taking over on the fly the way that he did. Um, but I think you look at Summer League – uh, team and you can get a little glimpse of it more so there in terms of what they're trying to do. They're trying to put in a defense that's heavy on switching and, um, and, and, and you know, Tibbs kind of had the, the ice, 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 you know, approach. Yeah. And they got just hammered on penetration, kick out to corner threes. Like it killed them with their, their schemes and what they did. They just got picked apart that way. There's going to be a lot more switching involved. Um, with Orion Saunders, David Vanterpool led defense. And, and so I think that's a little bit better suited to this modern game. And so I think that's the way they're going to go on defense. I think on offense, it's going to be a lot more democratic. Um, it, ball movement. I think you're going to see towns in the high post, um, at the elbow sort of orchestrating things and trying to open up things for cutters and 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 situations that I think they're going to shoot a lot of threes even if they're not going to make many last year they were 26 <laughs> in the league in three-point attempts but um I, I think they're going to shoot a lot more of them and just see what the heck happens we saw it with Brooklyn a couple of years ago right where they didn't shoot a great percentage but they just shot a heck of a lot of them and tried to see if it would come out in the wash and so I think you're going to see that with Minnesota as well and and they're going to try and get up tempo. They're going to try and get Wiggins in transition for for a little bit easier buckets that way, where they don't grind it out in the half court as much. And they're going to have Towns quarterbacking a lot of this, and so it's going to feature Towns, and everyone's going to kind of feed off of his table scraps and see if that kind of translates to a more effective, more sustainable offensive flow. Yeah, I'll be interested to see that of whether you know we see Towns dribbling the ball out top and you know hey we're going to get him a touch at the elbow on every possession and kind of use Jokic style uh, more Anthony Davis to Marcus Cousins in, in their later years in New Orleans um that type of thing all right I I uh went on a little tangent there but uh just to finish out worst case scenario I would say about 29 wins for this group and again you know that's not including hey Carl Towns gets injured in the first game of the season type of injury levels yeah I think I might even go a little bit lower if like like because yeah let's let's not even count on towns or say you know if towns gets hurt because then you're looking at yeah 17 or 18 wins maybe but um yeah but i think that i want to see covington be able to get through a full season and so i think it is very there, there's a there is a good chance that you know he just can't do that and he and teague both coming off of injury plague seasons if both of them um really struggle that way to stay healthy, which I think is a much more realistic thing to look at, then I think, yeah, I'm dipping down into the 27, 26 range because they don't have much point guard depth and they don't have anybody who can sort of galvanize the team the way that Covington did um, on both ends of the floor either. And so if they can't get 60 to 65 games from both of those guys, um, then the work's going to be cut out for them. And it's going to be a lot harder, a slog, and it could get a lot uglier. So especially in the West, which is going to be, again, just a freaking meat grinder. So I would say that, um, yeah, I'd go down to – I'll go down to 26 sort of as 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 the bottom 
of that if if they just can't get Teague and Covington up and running, which is an entire possibility. Well, all right, man. Thanks. This was great having you on, uh, as always. And I'm wishing you. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Would you, if you had to pick between like this year, which is probably going to be you know a little less interesting, and last year, which was uh, you know you and Shams writing together every single day for about a two month period, uh, <laughs> which would you be more interested in? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's funny, Nate, because you look at it and it's like in when you're in the middle of that Jimmy Butler unbelievable you know, pressure cooker. It's like, man, this is unrelenting. But you also realize that it's incredibly compelling. Everyone in the world is reading what you write and you're, you're kind of in the spotlight and you enjoy that as a writer. You like to be producing content that people read and, and, and eat up and they read and devoured everything that we wrote about the Jimmy Butler soap opera, but it was a just an unbelievable circus of a grind. And so if this year is a little more conventional, even if it's not as quite interesting, um, I would be okay with being able to focus a little bit more just on the basketball and what we're seeing on the court and dissecting that and telling those stories and getting behind the scenes that way, even if we're not you know, the most you know compelling and 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 TMZ level types of storylines anymore that that draw a ton of eyeballs. I, I, I won't be mad at, at that. I want to see well, how this team grows. It's an exciting time. It's an interesting time for them. It's just a, in a different kind of way interesting than the, the dysfunction and the Shakespearean backstabbing <laughs> that happened last year. Well, I mean, beyond Butler, it was Tibbs yeah. getting fired. It was a new president of basketball operations uh, being brought in. Like, basically, everything that could happen other than, you know, winning some games <laughs> <laughs> happened happened to this team uh, last year. So, yeah, theathletic.com slash capspace, by the way, uh, to sign up for The Athletic uh, as uh, and uh, follow John's work. And, and what's your uh, what's your Twitter as well, John, so people have that? Yeah, common spelling, at J-O-N-K-R-A-W-C-Z. Z-Y-N-S-K-I, not the actor. That's a different spelling. Just stick with me and we'll get your hoops stuff and you can get your office and Jack Ryan related content from the other John Krasinski. I, I remember uh, one of my favorite ever Onion headlines when I was a teenager was uh, Clinton deploys emergency vowels to, Bo- to Bosnia. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I was just... I was like, when I was going to email you, I typed in, I actually, I was, I was close, but I had an extra I in between, uh, I think like the C and the Z or something like that. And that's what I was, that's what I was missing. Uh, but yeah, thanks again for coming on. This is awesome. And, uh, looking forward to catching up during the season. Awesome. Nate. thanks for having me. I always enjoy listening to you. So really appreciate you bringing me on fame, money, ego. These things can make athletes seem super human, but what happens when those in professional sports reveal the darker side of their humanity each week, the podcast networks, new podcast sports criminals explores some of the most significant sports crimes in the world. If you're into true crime and you're into sports, this is the intersection of that. Some of the recent episodes include, Include former NFL receiver Ray Carruth. Remember his story out of Colorado with the Carolina Panthers. Former NBA star Jason Williams was once one of the best rebounders in NBA history. Or the tragic story of wrestler Chris Benoit. These stories were all in the news 
at the time but sports criminals goes beyond what was commonly known uh, about some of these stories so check out sports criminals athletes you knew crimes you won't forget listen and subscribe to sports criminals for free on spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts or visit parcast p-a-r-c-a-s-t parcast.com slash sports criminals to listen now All right, let's talk a little indiana pacers now uh, with my buddy jay michael uh, made the transition over to uh, indiana a, a couple of years ago worked for the, the indie star and uh one of the uh best follows on, on twitter certainly if you're trying to follow the pacers or just learn more about uh, basketball in general how you doing man hey man pretty good wait can't wait for the season to, to get started up believe it or not i'm actually ready to go back to work can't believe i'm saying that but i actually am <laughs> <laughs> yeah the pacers season ended earlier maybe than some thought it would uh when they're really rolling with victor oladipo so i, I want to start by just getting your opinion on this Pacers offseason, which really was one of the bigger remakes here, but I, I, one of the ones that I really struggled with uh, the most. You know, they definitely got younger, they got a lot more scoring punch, uh, but maybe lost something defensively and uh, in terms of pure shooting as well. So I, it's a really interesting group now that they've put together. What are your thoughts on their offseason? I expected the offseason to kind of go this way. Um, I, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think they'd be able to get TJ Warren uh, for basically nothing <laughs> and get yeah. a draft pick from Phoenix in addition to that. That, to me, was a, a huge steal. Um, but I expected him to go younger uh, for quite some time. Um, when it When it was clear that what they had was not going to work, was not going to get them out of the first round of the playoffs. Now, if Oladipo is able to play against Boston – I think that series is no worse than 2-2 instead of a 4-0 sweep, and who knows? Maybe that changes what they do going forward. But um, I fully expected uh, them to make a move, make moves where they would go younger. Because um, if you looked at the roster, all of their best guys, you know, all the guys that you saw leave, Thad Young, well over 30, Bojan Bogdanovich is now another side of 30. Darren Collison, who retired, but I don't think they was going to bring back. He was over 30. Um, and, you know, you look at a bunch of these guys who were key contributors. And, you know, it, 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 it not wasn't just the age thing. It was that you saw a lot of players who were one-dimensional in what they could do. Like Thad Young was a four who only could really play the four offensively but couldn't spread. Collison yeah. was a guard who can only play point guard but doesn't finish well in traffic or through contact, right? So, you know, you're not going to move Collison to the two or something like You're not going to move Thad Young to the three. So now with the guys that they have now with Brogdon, Brogdon could go one or two. Jeremy Lamb can play two or three. Uh, and Jeremy Lamb, as you saw last year in Charlotte, which was kind of a surprise to me, was, a, you know, a really good pick-and-roll ball handler for them. It's something that you didn't see much from him during his career. Um, so you see guys like that who are not just younger but more versatile and can go into more spots. It gives you more opportunities to play smaller lineups, even though they're you know they're 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 speaking about you know having Sabonis and Miles Turner as a starting uh, in a starting five. But I think you have much greater flexibility with guys who can you know you can go away from that and you know you can throw smaller lineups all all kinds of lineups out there i mean you have a promising young guard and holiday off the bench and guys like that so i i just think that they're a more versatile team and this is you know to me is going to be you know well you know coach nate mcmillan said that's the kind of stuff that he needed to have more success and pritchard is is kind of delivered on a lot of that but I think it could go really well and surprise some people. Or I know you, you said you're a little bit not sure 
unsure about it. And I think it also could go that route uh, for reasons that go beyond X's and O's. I mean, let's face it. You know, you lose uh, a lot of defense. Uh, can you still be a good defensive team or a credible defensive team? And do you have the leadership in that locker room that you need? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if it weren't for leadership last year, um, this train would have went off the track in a far, far more disastrous way than anybody could imagine. But those veterans uh, like Thad Young, Corey Joseph, Darren Collison helped keep things together, uh, especially after Oladipo got hurt. Yeah, my skepticism, I, and I actually, I think I gave them a C plus in their offseason grade because I felt, hey, they lost some defense. They maybe got back some equivalent level of offense. I thought, you know, Brogdon, they paid a lot for. We'll talk about him in a second, but Lamb to me was one of the better contracts of the offseason to get a wing guy who can create the way he did. I think he was just kind of very under the radar in Charlotte last year and uh, just get TJ Warren for nothing. If he can play the way he played last year, the shooting was a huge step forward. We'll see whether that is still the case and he obviously struggled with injuries the second half of the year uh in phoenix but so they've added a lot in terms of guys who can do stuff on the ball even before oladipo comes back i think they should in theory be better offensively uh but the defense i think is a major concern thad yarn to me is one of the most underrated defensive players in the nba and yeah he wasn't really a spacer offensively uh but I think they're really going to miss him. Uh, and they also don't really have anyone. There aren't that many of these guys in the East now, but they don't really have anyone who can guard those bigger wing threats. Your LeBron James, your uh, Kawhi Leonard types. I mean, Lamb is too skinny for that. Uh, and, you know, they signed Justin Holiday. He's probably too thin as well. And then Sabonis at the four is probably too slow. So I think that's another big weakness. There's going to be a lot put on Miles Turner defensively this year. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. It's um, and, and that's the thing. It's, you know, do they feel like they're going to be able to create, you know, because Nate McMillan is huge on defense and, you know, his assistant coach, Dan Burke, is the basically the defensive coordinator. Can they create a system? you know, where they can basically, you know, cover up some of those holes. And, um, you know, that, that, that would put a lot of strain on Miles Turner. And, you know, I, I've said now for the last couple of years, even after Oladipo made the NBA's all defensive team a couple seasons ago, um, I said that young should have been all defense that year, should have been all defense again this past season. It, 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 it blows me away that not only does he not make those teams, but if you look at the voting, you could tell nobody clearly watches him. And for me, he's the linchpin to everything. And there's so much, so many things that he does. I mean, that doesn't mean that Oladipo didn't play good defense. He didn't hustle. He wasn't deserving. He wasn't a contributor. It doesn't mean that Miles Turner wasn't either because both of those guys did spectacular things on their own. But to me, when you pull Thad Young out of that picture, um, it, there are a lot of things that he does that allowed Oladipo to jump passing lanes, get steals, get those easy buckets in transition. There's a lot of things that Thad, that Thad Young would do that would help other people be better. So what would happen is you would see the highlights where Turner would get the block, Oladipo would get the steal, but Thad Young did all this dirty work in between that created a situation that allowed them to get that. And I think as a result, he's that type of guy who, you know, you don't necessarily see right off all the stuff that he does. And I, I, I couldn't agree more about the defense in Thad Young and how important he is because, and you know what, um, from what I've gathered from the Pacers themselves, they are kind of wondering too, can we make this work without a guy like Thad? Because Thad Young didn't want to leave. Um, but I, I'd reported like maybe, you know, 
first week after the season, they were going to move on from him. Um, they wanted more offense. And Thad wasn't crazy about them moving on from him. I think he may have had some little bit of hurt feelings about um, them deciding to move on. They decided that with Thad in the playoffs, they couldn't win with him because teams game plan around trying to make him a scorer. And either he couldn't make the long range shots or he was reluctant to take them. And so they were looking at it more from the playoff perspective. Yeah. Whereas Thad Young during the 82 game regular season, no, you got to have a guy like him, or at least that's been the case to be able to get yourself in position to make the playoffs. So that's kind of the catch 22. I think they were in. Yeah. And I understand that line of thinking from the Pacers, uh, not only because he was 31. I mean, I think, you know, only getting two years guaranteed at, at about 13 million from the Bulls uh, and then a, a third non-guaranteed year i mean that wasn't that was less than i thought he might get i think that was a reasonable price but with the way they struggled offensively against a bad defensive team in cleveland two years ago and then just one of the more hopeless uh offensive performances in the playoffs we've seen in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. by them uh in that boston series you you do understand why they thought hey you know we we just yeah it's a risk he's been a lot of our identity but we're just we can't take the next step without having a little more scoring at that position uh but the irony is to me that now they're going with Sabonis there who you know is a better offensive player than Young but you know his shooting is not really any more uh, established uh, than Young's was at least uh, out to the three-point line so um uh, how do you think this Sabonis at the four thing is going to work out here I mean that's the plan right they're going to start him at the four yeah that, that's what's going to happen you know I've talked to a couple of people like assistant coach Bill Bato who worked out with him for about four or five weeks in LA this summer I talked to him for a while about working out with him and um, and uh, one of his former coaches from Gonzaga who's now in Phoenix um, who who didn't work out with him this year because oh, yeah. the, no no that is a friend friend of the program Ricardo Foyce actually, yeah is, exactly is that, is that guy's name yeah. right Ricardo yeah and so and I was talking to Ricardo about him as well and um, and and, you know, it's, you know, Ricardo didn't work out this year because of the national team commitments, but, you know, obviously he has a lot of background with Sabonis. And so I kind of, you know, was comparing notes, running, you know, running some things by them, what I saw, what they saw. And, um, you know, and, I, you know, the biggest, the biggest challenge, and, you know, I've talked to some people in the organization, the biggest challenge, I think everybody is kind of in agreement that it's, it's going to be more of him defensively at the four. Yeah. Then it's going to be offensively. Like offensively, you figure eventually he's going to come around and adjust his game. He's a good enough player. Look, I don't think he's going to be getting the double doubles if, if you're going to be playing him that far away from the rim. I don't think he'll get those double doubles as frequently. Well, well, so you think it's going to be him more around the basket or Turner more around the basket? Or or is it going to be both of them? I mean, I've, I've been critical of McMillan for not using Turner's shooting ability enough. I think he should be used like Brooke, Brooke Lopez. But you know, yeah. who do you see operating closer to the basket out, out of those two? I mean, it, it I, I see that. Look, Sabonis is better. Operating closer to the basket, Turner's clearly better facing up. I mean, that's even though Sabonis is, you know, it, it kind of, if you really think about it, I draw the comparison of back when Atlanta had Paul Millsap and Al Horford. Yeah. Millsap was the four, Horford was the five, but, um, there was a t- there there was times where the way Horford was used in pinch post offensively, he was actually lifted, uh, you know, ball screening, you know, moving the ball, getting everybody else involved, and you'd see Millsap, who was a four, a lot under the rim, getting you know, getting back screens and rip action to get post ups. I-, I think you can have some versatility where you can mix and match kind of what the guys do based on who they're playing. Um, the the thing to me with Sabonis, Sabonis offensively is far more comfortable, obviously, closer to the rim. If you look at that Boston series he had a lot of opportunities when he was playing 
away from the basket to get some shots. He just never looked for a shot. And, you know, and you know, I was talking to Ricardo about that. And he's like, man, he says he's so thinking about helping other guys out. He, he's not always aggressive as he should be. And let me tell you, man, I, I, I rewatched that Boston series now twice. And there were times that Sabonis would get the ball and he never looks at the rim. And yeah, he, he, he wants to hand off. He wants yep. to get into that, the DHO game. And, yep. and he's awesome at that. I mean, I think he that's is. a really underrated aspect of just his smarts in the pick and roll, find, finding space, finding guys going back to him mean, he really can operate out there very he can. well he can he can and and that's the thing like you got to have he's got to have a fine a balance of you know when the defense knows that you're not going to shoot the ball and you're going to look to to pass it off or hand it off to somebody you know they basically are defending four with five and he took himself out of the game offensively uh so that's one of the things um i think when he's playing if you play him away from the rim he can't do that if he does that um, you know, that's, that, that's going to be, you know, very difficult for him. He's got a good, he has a good shot, like a good form on his shot. You know, he doesn't get yeah. much elevation on his shot. Uh, I've seen him shoot threes in practice, but you know, we've all seen guys shoot threes in practice who either don't shoot them or can't shoot them in games. Um, he's going to be given that shot. They allowed him to pop when he played against Boston and said, go ahead and shoot it. And he's got to be able to hit that when he's playing away from the rim and teams do that. Uh, you know, it, for him, that's his issue. For Miles Turner, when he's posting up or when he's got a guy who's six foot five on him and he's got to post that guy up, go to the rim hard and finish. Like Sabonis's strength is Turner's weaknesses and vice versa when it comes to yeah. that part. And I, I think, look, it, the easy answer is if both of them get better at it, then you don't really have an issue. But usually it's those things don't happen overnight. And it'll take some time. So I think the way the Pacers, you know, we, we use him, you know, what, what McMillan does is going to depend on, I think you can't use him the same way every night. It's going to depend on the matchups. The other thing is, you know, speaking of defensively, how does he work as a four? You know, yeah. you know, you look at him on the weak side, he's going to have to do more Xing out. Um, given that foot speed isn't his greatest uh, asset. How's that going to work? That's going to re- put a lot of pressure on the next rotation to help cover for him when he's beaten on that. Um, you know, I actually saw him in the Boston series and, and Ricardo and I was talking about this as well. We were talking about this as well about how he was, you know, up top, uh, switching on Kyrie Irving on ball screens. He actually did pretty decent. Yeah. Like, he moves his feet well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not the fastest person in the world, but he had, you know, it's, it's, he's not slow, but he's, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's going to be a challenge against some of these blazing fast guys. It's going to be a challenge for anybody his size against him. But he actually did quite well against Kyrie in space. And I guess the, my question is, he did that in spot moments coming off the bench. You know, how, how are you going to be able to do that every time down when you're playing starters minutes and you're seeing that all the time? Because you know teams are going to put him in a situation where he's going to have to switch on guys like that and they're going to try to isolate him. Yeah. And you know they're going to target him. So uh, that's going to be something to look for early in the season to have an idea of how well this will go. Um, the, the other big thing I, I thought about this too, I just written this actually, it hasn't article hasn't published yet. Uh, you know, you know, so bonuses, and I was talking to Coach Baino about this, about the idea of him having to read and get in a position and draw charges, which seems kind of, well, how big of a deal is that? Well, Thad Young's really good at that. <laughs> and I didn't realize that Sabonis last season drew zero charges. Um, 
And, um, you know, Thad Young was, I think, sixth in the NBA in doing that. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he, Thad Young was just a playmaker. I mean, he would yep. steals, blocks, charges. Like, he was just yes. you know, one of the best help defenders at that position. Yes. And, you know, I mean, that's why I had him pick some second team all defense. Yeah. Because he's, I mean, he's, you're going to, yeah. he's going to have to do multiple things. So it's not that Sabonis is a bad athlete. Is that not that he's not blazing fast? Is that when he's on the weak side, like, he's going to have to do multiple things. Can he, does he, does he have the agility? to you know go to Kyrie and then change directions and then get over here on a closeout. You know what I mean? And 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 having to do that over and over. I mean Thad Young when it came to deflections, last year he had like 263 I think uh, Sabonis at 75. Like, you know, maybe that's a product of, you know, Sabonis, you know, not being in that position, have to do that that much. But that's the kind of work yeah. that he has to do in order to help minimize the loss of Young. That's a lot of stuff. And that's why Young, you know, as we were just talking about, is so valuable. So, I, you know, I, I think early season, you know, there's going to be some questions of, hey, does this work? Does this not work? Uh, if the Pacers are committed to it, they're going to have to stick to it. Um, and I guess the question is, how long do you stick with it um, if it's not working at an optimum level? And how much of it is just kind of growing pain? So that's, I think, the big question for them going forward after they when they go to this lineup. Yeah, I think you know, a couple react to a couple of things you said. I mean, it's one of the big concerns about Sabonis coming out of school was his wingspan is not very big, and that's a part of why I think he, he struggles to make plays, especially on those switches too. He can stay in front of guys, but then maybe doesn't have the length to. to contest if they go up for for the mid-ranger so i you know you said started talking about whether this is going to work or not what's your gut feeling i mean do you think that this is going to work are we going to look back at the end of the season and be like yes like this their best lineup is sabonis at the four and uh, miles turner at the five or are we going to look at it like you know with the jazz with Derek favors and rudy gobert where it's like okay we're just bringing this guy in to just say he's a starter we're going to get him out of the game as fast as we can and just have a mostly play backup center and to close games it's not going to be sabonis at the four. i think that the latter could be more true um, yeah that's my I, feeling too. I, yeah, I feel more like that. Um, especially when you consider that the Pacers, um, I don't know. I think a lot too is going to, you know, depend on how quickly or how good their draft pick and their top draft pick, Goga Batazzi, is going to be. Uh, a seven, you know, seven foot guy who's. Yeah, you, you've been, uh, you've been kind of singing his praises a little bit, or at least you've, you've been repeating others, people, other people's praises. Yeah. And so far. I, I don't, I don't think you've seen him actually, but. Yeah. And, and he's, and his funny, um, and, you know, before I even do that, like, I, I, I talk to a lot of people who have no vested interest in how good he is. You know, it's one thing when you talk to teams, a team's going to always pump up whoever they pick, right? Uh, this is just people I ask, you know, like, to this day, like, R.C. Buford is not happy that the Pacers were able to get Goga because that was their pick. Um, I think it yeah, says. Yeah, the, Spur, the Spurs picked one pick behind the Pacers this year. Yes. Yeah. Um, R.C. Buford wanted, I mean, he he's to this day is like, my God, like, he's kind of ticked that Goga got away. I think it's a good sign when the Spurs identify a guy and you're able to get, get him before the Spurs did. Um, so, um, but yeah, I, I've talked to, you know, I've talked to probably 15 front up, front office people from 15 different teams, you know, since the draft pick happened. And he says, look, just give me the real, what you really think. You know, 
And I haven't heard one person. I, I had one person say they think he's going to be a decent player that, you know, he could be a good six man or something like that. There's a lot of most people have said he, he'll be a starting quality big. Um, and so it's, you know, whatever. You, you never know how those things shake out. Sometimes people can say all those good things and it doesn't happen for various reasons. Um, but, you know, I think he's the, 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 the other guy in the equation. Like maybe what, what if we're talking Sabonis Turner, Sabonis Turner, and it turns out that it's Goga and one of those two guys. It works better together. I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to figure that out this year, but if that's true. And so I, I think you could argue that they're in a good position. Um, you know, I had one GM tell me that he wouldn't have made that move unless he was really open to moving uh, Sabonis to Turner. Um, and, you know, Turner was, was, was in hot demand. You know, I reported at the time going into um, the draft that, you know, teams kept inquiring about Turner and the Pacers were turning him away. Um, so th- there's a lot of they realized they could get a lot for either Turner or Sabonis in the market, in the open market. Um, but, you know, I just think they're waiting to see kind of how these things shake out. But maybe maybe Goga turns out to be the guy who's a better matchup with one of the other bigs. I mean, I, I you know, I, I don't know. He's on a rookie deal. They got time to find out exactly how he fits in. But, um, but yeah, I think – and that, to me, that's just kind of an interesting – if he blows up, coming out of the gates, then, I mean, you know, it's going to be a good problem for them to have. But, I, yeah, I, I feel like you, th- that second option you said about Utah with favors and, and Gobert could be starter just in, you know, in you know yeah, on paper they're starters, but, you know, they end up playing separated or uh, more often than not, and he's the first sub out early in the game. Uh, and, and maybe it's just uh, much ado about nothing when it, if it comes down to that. Yeah, and most teams start big, so it's, it's probably not gonna not gonna kill you. And I mean, I, the one nice thing about that combination of Turner and Sabonis is they might actually finally be able to get a defensive rebound. Yeah, uh, that's been that's like true. A, one of the the Achilles' heels of, of this team. And Turner, I mean, I was reminded again watching USA and FIBA just how awful of a defensive rebounder Miles Turner is. Much as I like him in in most other aspects, um, and Thad Young wasn't really a great defensive rebounder either for for all of his brilliance uh, on the initial. Uh, defensive possession so and they didn't really have you know Bogdanovich wasn't a great they didn't really have much uh to defensive rebound but um so yeah it's interesting you mentioned Batadze Sabonis is extension eligible uh we just actually did our mock rookie extensions podcast go back and listen to that if you haven't yet but we weren't able to get there uh i was uh, the player agent and we were kind of in the you know four years between 66 and 72 million i would guess even Sabonis might want more than that how are you feeling about those extension talks right now yeah i mean look, i think they're gonna work something out um based on what i was told recently um the 70 million range is about right um uh you know i guess it's a question of um you know the because you figure you know miles turner got 80 million yeah sabonis would in theory slot in that 70 million dollar range yeah. although that was miles turner last year i mean yeah. let's remember that he had a real breakout year last year yeah. you know especially defensively so i mean at the time i actually was like why are they giving him this extension for this much when he hasn't proved that much yet it turns out that's looking like a, a decent enough contract so yeah it's a good, uh, con- it's it's a good yeah. contract it's a good contract yeah. i mean that's, that's that's the risk you know if you if, if he's able to play into the contract and you know it ends up being a bargain not not that bad of a deal i mean you gotta yeah i look at it relative to you know some of the 
the other contracts that you see out there. And it's not, you know, despite whatever deficiencies he has, it's still a pretty good contract. And um, so, yeah, I, I would slot Sabonis just in terms of overall dollars um, underneath that 80 million. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, he's. It, and, and by the way, if I were him, I would take that in a second yes. as, as a center in today's day and age i mean that's just that's just too much guaranteed money to turn out but but you know i mean he may feel differently he may want to go to his own team and start at center you know i don't know how he feels about it personally but if i were him i would be all over that oh yeah Um, and and that's the thing you know i was just about to say that about centers like centers you know there's not a whole lot of leverage that you have in the market these days than if you were a wing you know and especially like him who's not a defensive difference maker right yeah and and you know so yeah if him i take that and you know look in a best of both in the best world for the pacers obviously the you you'd find a, a center who has this who has what what turner strengths are and Sabonis' strengths are and one guy <laughs> right and it would open a roster spot for you to do something else but the fact is based on the way this team is built uh i think they need both of them at least for now uh and figure out what happens with goga and what he can be and figure out what to do from there because let's let's face it if you end up making a deal down the line um it, you know both of those contracts with turner or sabonis or would, would be contracts uh that are i think easily moved and uh, they still have value to some teams and um yeah it's 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 but yes yeah, centers in today's nba don't have the leverage that they had you know 20 years ago or hell even 10 years ago um so yeah if you can get 70 million is is a bonus i take it because i i don't see any hundred million dollar deals out there for guys at his position or with his skill set right now. yeah yeah and while i think Sabonis is good it's just i think the defensive limitations if you're a team that's trying to get deep into the playoffs uh are a little bit too much uh, for me i mean i kind of think of him as like a real high-end backup type of player you know i i kind of have him more down in the 12 13 million dollar a year range uh, as a player than you know but i i mean i would be shocked if he took something like that so i mean he's gonna want legitimate starter money um because you know i think he, he's played a, at a, a very high level and you know was one of the best six men in the league yeah last year so so but you think it'll get done though i i, I thought i'd see a lot of these you know uncertainty can he play the four they've got a bunch of guys at the position his demands might be exorbitant yeah by thought my guess would have been that it wouldn't get done for those reasons but but you don't see it that way and you obviously have more knowledge of it than i do i think i think something gets done i don't have the sense that there's any um you know sometimes going into negotiations like that you get a sense like man this is going to be surprising if they come to terms i i don't have that sense from from this you know in in this you know maybe something's changed in the last couple of weeks but the last time uh i was talking to someone about this um it it just didn't it just didn't strike me as it was going to be a difficult uh negotiation or shouldn't be um and you know like i said if if something you know by them having goga i think that's kind of like hey you know we do have other options and the paces aren't in a position where as good as is 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 the bonus has been for them i don't think they're in a position where they got to feel like they got to give them a hundred million dollars to keep them that's not going to happen um and that's just you know herb simon's not going to pay out that kind of money we we can get into that a little bit later in this conversation about how that has impacted some of the roster decisions they have or haven't made but um yeah if um, if i can't imagine sabonis trying to say 70 million isn't enough Um, starting job he would have got he wanted to be a starter and during the exit interviews last season so they're going to make him a starter so they, they've they've agreed to to, to to at least try to make that work to appease him and um so i think they're kind of on the same page about where they're headed i, I guess maybe it depends on the years or, or guarantees or i would expect it to be a fully guaranteed deal um, yeah but who knows yeah and i think it's 
it's tough to say here to uh s- small market teams like indiana that mentality they don't like letting homegrown talent get away uh you know herb simon expressed his distaste we'll talk about a little bit more for the uh restricted free agency process uh and but i mean it's just that is a lot of money to put into two guys who may not be able to play together we don't really know my suspicion is it's not going to work that well as i said um so and as you mentioned they do have batadze i mean if, if it were me i would be trying to trade Sabonis right now actually and see if i could get you know a solid first rounder for him now maybe that's not out there um did you have any conception of like what these offers might have been for Turner? I mean, I think he's, I think he's awesome. I don't think they should be looking to trade him, but I think there are teams like Boston, for example, maybe with that Memphis pick where he might be the guy to get them kind of back into contention in the East because they desperately need his skill set. Uh, you know, maybe there's some other teams that would really want him and they, they say, Hey, we got Sabonis and Batadze and that's good enough and, and we'll move Turner instead. That could be an option as well. So it's, it, what do you, what do you think of all that? Yeah. The, the, the the, the New Orleans, uh, before they made all the moves that they were able to make, New Orleans um, w- requested Turner. Um, oh man, that would have been awesome. Him, him and Zion together would have actually been fantastic. Yeah, they they, they were you know in a, and I reported this too, kind of going into the the I can't remember if I reported it right after the trade deadline or, or, or maybe going into the off season. Um, you know, the, the Pacers were interested in 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 uh, in, in making a deal. Um, Sabonis was the guy I was told that was on the table. Um, they wanted Miles Turner, uh, and the Pacers weren't willing to part, uh, with Miles Turner. Um, yeah, I mean, I wonder if the, the Pels, I mean, cause that was a one that I came up with too, a fake trade of the, that number four pick for Turner in, in a weak draft. I actually mm-hmm. would have considered that if I were, if I were the Pels. But do you think it got to that level of compensation that they're talking about and the Pacers still said no, or was it yeah, lower the, than that? I was told the Pacers said no to Miles Turner. That, that, the Pels are one of the teams that requested Turner because yeah the you know going into the, the the draft you know they were trying to get up the the the, the Pacers tried to get to the four spot that Pell's yeah. pick and they tried to get to the 10 spot with Atlanta's pick um and um and or was it vice versa yeah yeah it was it was four and yeah 10. no that's right that's right and and um yeah Miles Turner was the guy uh that teams were the most interested in in any sort of deal now you know the the Pacers earlier in the season like going around the trade deadline when they were trying to do some things you know they they had a deal done from Mike Conley um and Herb Simon nixed it from what I was told um wow yeah and they they had uh what I was also told, uh, Otto Porter would have been in a Pacers uniform rather than a Bulls uniform, uh, had, but his contract was too big. They didn't want to take on that deal, but the sides were pretty much in agreement about a deal for Otto Porter. So that's two instances where you, especially the Conley deal is really interesting because they could have gotten Conley and wouldn't have had to give up any of their core guys. You know, you, you're not giving up Oladipo, Thad Young, Bogdanovich, not even Miles Turner. The guy who I, I put out there at the time uh, was Aaron Holiday was going to be in the deal. Um, I got some pushback on that, that that wasn't the case. And of course, then um, uh, I stuck to my guns because I knew it was right. And, um, you know, and and I later later found out, yeah, that, that was spot on um, that, you know, I assume there would have been some other draft pick compensation. I think it would have been. A, I think it would have been a first round pick. I think it's. I can't remember. It was one first round pick. I think it was first round pick. Aaron Holiday, and I can't remember if there was another. If there was a second rounder or something else. 
was, I don't think there was a second rounder. I think it was that, that was that in, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I don't have the, the, my notes in front of me with all the details on it, but the core of it was a first round yeah. pick in, in, in Aaron Holiday for Mike Conley. So, wow, you know, it, I, that's, uh, if Herb Simon did nix this, nix that, that sounds uh, a little questionable to me. Yeah. Although that's, that's another, another big contract, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a big contract and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I tell people this kind of stuff all the time. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, when some of these teams around the league don't make certain moves and you say, man, why did this team president or GM didn't do this? He was stupid. You know, sometimes, and I, I know of instances where, hey, this guy tried to do that, but he was nixed by somebody above him. And there's only yeah. one person above him, and that's the owner. <laughs> like, so <laughs> that happens a lot. And, um, or, you know, more often than people think it happens. So it's not necessarily that the team isn't the, the people who are trying to make the deal aren't, aren't smart and aren't wise. It's just that, you know, maybe somebody above doesn't want to, doesn't want to cut checks that large for someone. So yeah, Mike, Mike Conley is a guy, you know, I talked to Mike when I, I saw him in Las Vegas, um, during summer league and we talked about his possibility that he could have come to Indianapolis and he thought that was a strong possibility as well. So, um, but you know, it's, you know, so it, it's kind of, you know, one one of those things where you think of, you know, you know, it, what would the team look like if you would have gotten Colin? What, what have you? What would you look like if you had gotten Otto Porter um, um, when he was on his way out from the Wizards? Um, they, they tried yeah. to orchestrate a deal to send him to the Pacers as well, and that didn't happen because he had a hundred and six million dollar contract. Yeah, that that one I wouldn't have been as high on. I don't think because I don't think there was. It would have just been like expiring contracts for him, and I'm not sure that that was really you know that that great of a deal. Um, but yeah, it's uh, that's really interesting to think about. I mean, Conley was certainly someone we were talking about at that time as being a good, even with Oladipo out, they could have maybe been more competitive in the playoffs last year. And then, you know, he would have been a decent fit with Oladipo. Let's turn it now a little bit more to, uh, to this year's team though. Um, how do you see some of these new additions fitting in on the wing now? Lamb, Brogdon, Warren. I mean, they really have remade their entire one through three at this point. Um, how do you see that group shaking out now with uh, you know a totally different identity for this team? I mean, you can mix and match a lot better, um, you know, with who's going to run the offense. Um, to me, the Pacers are very limited, you know, what they could do previously. You know, which you had Collison and Corey Joseph and guys like Tariq Evans, who was really up and down last season. Um, so I, I think you're more versatile. Um, I, I think all all of those guys can kind of, you know, see, so, you know, I've talked about how they slot into to, to multiple spots and make a little bit more flexible, give them a little bit less predictability. Um and, you know, it's kind of amazing, too. Like, this team was was a terrible pick-and-roll team last year. <laughs> I mean, whether yeah. it was... I mean, Oladipo is their only guy who could run a pick-and-roll. Yeah, I mean, it, done, it, was it. it's amazing how bad it was, you know. And it, it, it didn't matter if it was the ball handler or the roll man. The, the roll man couldn't finish uh, or, <laughs> or make the right... Or necessarily make the right read, out, you know, if he short-rolled all the time. And the, the yeah. ball handler couldn't finish in traffic or, or, or couldn't beat his man or create enough separation to finish. Yeah, yeah. Oladipo's the only guy who could do that. So they were really bad at that. And I think that's the one thing that gets better with these guys um, um, and, and how they fit in. That less, I think you, you'll see less play calling, less, you know, 
you should, in theory, you should see more imagination for what they're able to do offensively. So I think from that perspective alone, um, there's just far more options on the table. I mean, being able to, to be a threat on the pick and roll, I mean, it kind of changes, I think, a lot of other things on the floor for you. Whereas, you know, um, when I think about that they were able to win 48 games and do what they did without Oladipo for 46, it would be so bad at the pick and roll. It kind of blows my mind. I, I don't know how yeah. the math. I don't know how the math got us to forty-eight wins. When you well, think the, about the number three defense papers over a lot of sins. On yeah, offense, that's I guess. true. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's. But my gosh, without that kind of defense, you, you put think think about it this way: What if they were just like a middling defense with the way they? Oh my gosh, I, I just kind of wonder. Yeah. How, how, where did they? Where's their win total then? Is it around thirty? <laughs> thirty or less? Yes. Yeah. I think it took teams a lot a while to just adjust to what Bogdanovich was doing as well. I mean, he was, you know, having really the season of his life and, you know, it took teams a while to be like, all right, he's their primary guy. We're going to focus in on him. We're going to take away his right hand and actually like, you know, really treat him as the number one option and then you know because they had that nice run right after Oladipo went down and then uh you know kind of they were 500 after that initially if memory serves yeah they could and the thing is one one thing that was kind of key if you looked at so after Oladipo goes down January 23rd there was about a week where it was gloom and doom like it was I mean they played I remember going down to Orlando they had a game one against Orlando and they blew it and that's when Orlando you know started to come on as a team too uh they went to I think it was a D see uh play the wizards and we all know how bad the wizards were a uh, game they they, they should have won and they blew that and they all of a sudden started losing the key i think to their season last year was they beat the teams that they should have beat so whenever yeah. they whenever they played the bottom half of the league they steamrolled them or, or or they beat them you know they steamrolled some of them they barely beat some of them but they won and when they played the better teams in the league they lose two and win one right but when yeah. you, what you saw after oladipo got hurt they generally had difficulty beating any of the good teams and they had difficulty beating the bad teams <laughs> it became a coin flip yeah so that's why they would play it they would win a couple lose a couple win a couple lose a couple win four in a row lose six in a row and that kind of thing and so it was that kind of yo-yo afterwards what, what do you get the impression of what they're expecting from tj warren this year because it, in phoenix he was kind of an enigma i think even to uh, people with within the sun's organization you know he would suffer these uh, odd injuries not that there was any kind of like uh, malingering or, or anything like that but uh and he just goes away to north carolina for the summer they don't really hear much from him he comes back and he's got this incredible three-point shot now he's shooting 40 percent <laughs> on like pretty high volume when that had you know he'd been shooting like 20 percent on really low volume the last three years before that uh, and so and then he only but he only did that for 30 or 40 games and then you know he really uh, was done for the season i think it was an ankle injury mm-hmm. if i recall correctly and so what are they expecting to get out of him this year is he going to be a starter you going to play the three play the four like what, what do they see from him i i you know that, that's he's the most interesting guy of all of them because he's the one i have lesser i have i'm less certain about <laughs> because of the, yeah. a lot of the reasons you just spoke of um you know he doesn't uh look part of his issue in phoenix obviously he paid for what four different coaches in five seasons 
Yeah. Um, you know, it, and that's the thing coming, a guy coming from Phoenix, to me, it's kind of hard to know exactly what he is because Phoenix is such a bad place. You know, is he better than the guy we saw in Phoenix or is he not nearly as, you know, uh, the production when you just look at his raw numbers or is he nearly not that good? Um, he's not anywhere close to even being that good. I think that's, 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 that's the thing with him. He's, he's kind of a withdrawn personality. Like, yeah, he's not. Yeah, that was the impression that I got. Yeah, he's not, he's not really, they're, they're going to have to work. I was told they're going to have to work with TJ to get him to adjust to kind of being more open and dealing with facing people. I, I, look, I'm not some medical guy. I'm not going to say he's got an issue, but I think him being around large groups of people, uh, it seems like, look, I met him. I met TJ when he was 15. Um, he was playing for David West, uh, his Garner Road AAU team. And I remember even back then I was, I was at the facility with David and, uh, and I think that's part of the connection too. They, the organization still has a pretty good relationship with David West and, you know, he was with TJ at Summer League this year and kind of, you know, he can help be a conduit, I guess, if, if you know, to help with TJ in some ways, because he kind of helped groom TJ to get to this point, you know. Um, and I remember meeting TJ back then and, you know, high school kids are usually pretty shy as it is anyway. Uh, and I was just struck at that time how I could barely get two words out of him. Yeah. <laughs> and that was back then. And, you know, you know, he's so I mean, that, I think that's kind of trying to get him out of that shell. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's something that he just has difficulty talking in front of groups, if he has some sort of anxiety, if he just has to have somebody, you know, and, and look, Phoenix, like I said, wasn't the best place, in my opinion, for a guy like him. I think he needs to, 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 to in, in an organization like the Pacers and how they do things could be better for him. Um, but yeah, I, I just think, and he's just hard to gauge for me. I would, my estimation is that he would, he would fill the void left by Bogdanovich at the three. Um, but I think there's definite possibility when you look at the lineups that you could use him in a small lineup at four to spread. Um, but I, I haven't seen enough of him to say I definitely would do that. <laughs> I haven't seen enough of him in a yeah. situation that's stable. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad idea. Um, I don't know. Have you seen yeah, it? And I don't know if the ball is going to go in for him from three the way it did. I mean, it was just one of the like craziest overnight three-point shooting transformations that we've ever seen Yeah, the, the first half of last year. Yeah, and I, that's the thing. Like, If you would have asked me last season about him shooting threes, I'd be like, no, he can't. And then I, I think – I don't know if it was against the Pacers or there was a – oh, you know what it was? I take it back. When he dropped, he dropped the 40 spot, I want to say that was two seasons ago – against the Wizards. Maybe it was more than two. But I remember thinking like, ah, you know, he's kind of, you know, eh, I'm not that worried about TJ. And then he just absolutely destroyed them. And like, you see moments like that from him and you're like, wow, this dude can be really good. Uh, but, you know, I think it's a good get for the Pacers. It's good, you know, maybe it's a, based on what's left on his contract. He doesn't have a bad contract. Uh, his upside's pretty good. But yeah, um, I don't know if there's enough data on him or that I've seen enough of him physically in certain situations where I can make a definitive claim like, yeah, you're going to, you know, he's got to play more four. I think you could play him at four and get away with it if he can hit that three ball. I, I just don't know. I, I can't tell you definitely for sure that's a move that you have to make. But, um, I, I you know, he, he's, he's, he's one of the more interesting and intriguing guys. Um, but I don't know a whole lot about him, even though I, even though I'm really tight with David West and I've been for like better part of a decade, 
I still don't know TJ Warren. <laughs> and, yeah. I've, you know, like I said, I look, you'd have thought since I met him when he was 15, I would have a better rapport with him than anybody else. And that's just not the case. So I don't know. Yeah, it, me neither. And, you know, him playing at the four, that's uh, OK. If he could shoot, that's going to be great for your offense. But defensively, you know, I mean, I think he's he's shown some quick feet at times, but, you know, certainly hasn't been a quality defender overall in his career. Maybe, you know, McMillan has really succeeded in getting guys who weren't good defensively to play well for him so maybe he can make some use of that potential uh, but he's still a little thin to to play the four in a lot of matchups uh, for sure um and then they've got this really um i guess we should let, let's talk about brogdon a little bit here one of the things i wanted to ask you was there's some reporting that basically the reason you know they gave brogdon uh, this pretty big contract he's to be making uh about uh over 20 million per season I think it was at four for 86 i, I want to say it is yes yeah, um, so it works out to be about 20 21 yeah okay yeah so so but they also gave up a first and a second rounder to get him in the sign and trade from the Bucks, and the implication afterwards, I forget who it was who reported this, is that basically Herb Simon says he finds restricted free agency kind of distasteful. We're all partners in this league, so rather than give Brogdon the offer sheet and get him without any compensation, he just gave up the first and second rounder and got the Bucks to agree to it. Um, number one, was that your impression of what happened as well? And number two, what do you think of that? Um, that's pretty much what happened. Um, you know, I did a, I did a piece actually after free agency was, free agency was done on kind of the anatomy of how all this came about. And, um, you know, for, look, from one perspective, there were, there were a couple teams, there were about four teams that were serious threats to make Brogdon an offer sheet, right? Um, and, um, you know, you'll hear like Chicago's name mentioned in it. Chicago wasn't a real yeah. threat. Um, Chicago wasn't a real threat for an offer sheet. They actually wanted to, you know, they wanted to get Fad Young and someone else and they, they weren't going to be able to, you know, pay what they needed to pay to get Brogdon. So they weren't a real threat. Um, but, um, you know, if, you know, if, 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 you know, Boston isn't able to get Kimba Walker, obviously Brogdon just rockets to the top of their list, things like that. But so the Pacers knew there was going to be some suitors, uh, in the mix to get after him. So, you know, their part of the logic is, you know, we may not get him in the open, in a, we, we, we may not have the best bid or the best offer. Uh, I see. And, yeah, that makes sense. And if we don't, because there's other teams, if, if their sense was that there wasn't much competition for him, maybe you go the offer sheet route. Milwaukee, you know, was, Milwaukee wasn't going to match after a certain point. I think that number was somewhere around 65, uh, million. Um, I don't know that for sure, but Milwaukee was going to be willing to go into a tax up until a certain point to keep Brogdon. But, you know, obviously they had a number where they, they, they were not going to be able to, they were not going to match. Um, and so that was kind of the thing. Um, you know, and I talked to a lot of people on, on how this all came about, but yeah, essentially Simon, Simon has a kind of an odd way, I guess you'd say of doing business. I mean, do you think, I mean, granted, Bogdan Bogdanovich was an unrestricted free agent, but do you think the Utah Jazz give a damn about whether or not they hurt your feelings as an owner if they take one of your better offensive players? Absolutely not. So, yeah. <laughs> so the, this idea of um, uh, Simon's aversion to restricted free agents is kind of kind of kind of odd to me. But yeah, well, I think there's also this component. I mean, you you were there for the Otto Porter saga with the Wizards, right? Yeah. Where you know first the Nets make the deal as onerous as possible where he's got to get paid all uh, much of his salary uh up front as much as, as you can 
uh, and they give them the player option and the trade bonus. And then the Wizards are like, oh, yeah, well, screw you. We're going to take six days to uh, do the physical for a player that finished the season uh, on our team. You know, so, uh, I mean, you can see it does get contentious a little bit and maybe you know in a way that unrestricted free agency doesn't I mean that's just solely the player's decision so i i do see a little bit of a difference there but you know i i also think maybe a more competitive approach could serve yeah i, I get it but yeah i, I just you know I, I i'm curious how many other owners feel that way like you know it's it's the cost of doing business and you know get you know if it gets contentious you get over it and move on whatever um and so it, it's you know it's it, i just i found that kind of odd but you know that you know so so brogdon you know that they they kind of work out they didn't actually think they're going to be able to get him um so i think it was so free agency opened if i'm not mistaken on us was it a sunday so yeah. that friday i had that you know based on how the way things were looking you know, I initially, you know, there was reports out there that the Rubio, Ricky Rubio and the Pacers were basically agreeing we're going to have it. You know, he's going to be coming to the Pacers. Yeah. And, yeah. That's what everyone thought. Right. Yeah. So that same that Friday night, I had two tweets. The first one that said, although it looks like Rubio and the Pacers are, are, are headed towards an eventual marriage with each other. I'm told that hold off that said should hold off on that. That's not done by any stretch of the imagination there's something else in the works uh I, I don't know if i used the word sign and trade but i kind of implied sign and trade i didn't know the guy was brogdon at the time but yeah. i did know that there were some things cooking that they weren't really in love with ricky rubio and so of course well, nor should they have been. <laughs> no, an awful fit they, on they, team, especially I, for the money that he ended up getting oh my god with and, Phoenix. Look, and, and see yeah. that that's why i look at it in relative terms like Okay, Brogdon at twenty one million, that's a lot. But Rubio's getting what, seventeen million? I pay Brogdon yeah. twenty one million before I give Rubio seventeen million. I mean Rubio's if, if you want to talk about offensive problems last year for the Pacers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So well, uh, well, and Brogdon can play next to Oladipo and Rubio really can't. No, he cannot. Yeah, I mean that's the other part of it. Yeah, I mean if you think the offense was bad was going through droughts last year with Rubio on the team, uh Rubio would have basically made any of the other moves they made irrelevant. Um and, and I like Ricky at certain points of his career. But last season, I was just, I felt like he was, I know he's 28. I felt like I was looking at a guy who was 38. Um, but yeah, so they weren't in love with Rubio. Rubio was kind of um, an, a possibility. Like if all of these other options fall through, Rubio would be kind of like, you know, worst case scenario kind of guy. Um, but he was not the guy. And by the way, the Pacers would not have paid him $17 million. I was told the deal with the Pacers would have been at $13 million per, which, you know. Okay. It, yeah, that's a little more realistic. Yeah. But, and so yeah. it's, um, so Rubio, you know, got more money by going to Phoenix and it kind of makes Phoenix's moves even more more peculiar even uh the kind of things that i i you know i say so you give away tj warren and you give rubio 17 million a year whatever um but yeah it's the whole thing with you know brogdon they thought they you know the pacers that it was slim to none that they were going to be able to get him um and and, and then you know a uh, phone, couple phone calls were made. David Falk, who, uh, uh, and, and Danielle Cantor got on the phone, uh, said, Hey, you're interested. Well, let's see if we can make something work. And that's kind of how the ball got rolling. And then, you know, the owners got on the phone together, um, to kind of help, you know, push it down towards the finish line. Um, and they were able to work something out because Brogdon, Brogdon liked the con the idea of playing in Indiana. They, they wanted to avoid, 
you got to remember, Pacers are you know a small to mid market sized team, sure. have trouble getting free agents. So going going this route to get him rather than just making an offer sheet where he could take somebody else's offer sheet or whatever, where you get beat significantly by someone else, they didn't want to go to that. And I, I understand it. I understand it more of you know, hey, you know, you, you're in a position where you have trouble getting free agents as it is, and you got to take the sure thing. And I think that was part of the equation as well to make sure you got you got your guy. Brogdon was a high target of theirs in in the offseason. and I think because you lost so many veteran guys, you you lost Bogdan, you were going to lose Bogdanovich. Uh, they had to get Brogdon because if they didn't get Brogdon, you probably don't get Jeremy Lamb, and now you're looking at a really bad offseason, potentially really bad offseason. So I think Brogdon was more the linchpin. So that that makes Herb Simon's position, even though he was talking about animosity with owners, but I think from a practical standpoint, you could argue it made more sense because if they didn't get Brogdon, you know, that that was, you know, when Jeremy Lamb saw Brogdon was coming, that made Jeremy Lamb more likely to come sign with the Pacers. So, so that, that kind of made it made it necessary to maybe go that route, I think, more so than anything else. I look at it from that perspective more so than, well, another owner is going to be pissed at me. I look at it more of that, you better get Brogdon. Um, because if you yeah. don't, who knows what this team looks like right now. Well, and here's the thing, too, uh, and we haven't talked about this at all yet, but it really is the biggest question hanging over the Indiana Pacers, even more than the center issue over the next two or three years is just how is victor oladipo going to come back if he comes back at the same level that he was in 17 18 you know this team might be able to get into the the group of, of the top contenders of these if he doesn't if he's you know more middling and uh you know just doesn't have that same otherworldly explosiveness that he had that first year with the pacers then you know this team will be you know kind of around where they've been uh, this whole time you know seventh seed sixth seed fifth seed type of thing uh at best but so so what's the prognosis i mean first of all uh what's the latest uh on when he's supposed to come back it's still december there hasn't been anything really new i saw victor last month uh yeah. talked to him for a bit um he stayed away from talking about he didn't want to talk anything about his injury um sure i i think you know look i think even though the december timeline is out there knowing victor um he's gonna try to surprise everybody and come back sooner now that can be a good thing or a bad thing as we know him coming back sooner from when he initially uh had issues with his knee turned out to be a disaster <laughs> Um, you know, cause it led to this, this major injury that he has. It's, I mean, given that there's nobody active in the league right now who had the injury that Victor has, it makes it, yeah, it's the same one as Tony Parker, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. It makes it hard to gauge. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I'm very concerned. Yeah. I'm very concerned there's nothing, that he's not going to be the There's same nothing to go on and nobody, I mean, I, ha- I haven't talked to, no one knows because of that. So maybe it's not as bad as we think it is because we don't know a whole lot about the injury and the recovery, but maybe it's worse than we think it is <laughs> it's um yeah. I, I think uh, one, one thing i do know that whenever he comes back um and th- that's why you know when he comes back everybody thinks he's going to hit the ground running and play he's not going to play every day i already know that they're putting him on a, oh for sure they're putting him on a uh, program to you know restrict him you know the back-to-backs to two games in three days sorts yeah of well especially when there is some implications uh, which you just uh, alluded to that maybe you know they pushed him a little bit too hard with you know some of the more minor issues that he was having yep. to that led to this injury. Yeah, it's I, I'm not a fan of you know ever since my days of covering the Wizards, you know, remember when sure. Bradley, Bradley Beal kept getting the stress injuries, and right. it's like just just make him sit and you know Bradley Beal and John Wall. Now look at John Wall now. Um, 
and, you know, playing through injuries and, well, the guy wants to play, we just let him play. It's like, no, it's, you, you can't. You have to, somebody has to say you've had enough. Even if he's fine, you know, you're looking at the long-term management of it. And um, you got to, you know, lose a battle sometimes to win the war. And I think that has to be more of a mentality with guys with some of these injuries, uh, these leg injuries. And with Oladipo, you know, early in the season, you know, while he was, you know, I would have people say, man, Oladipo looks like he's still on the all-star level. And I had a slightly different opinion. I, he didn't look the same yeah. to me, especially no, especially defensively. Um, his lateral, his ability to, you know, I, I remember seeing him, and I can't remember who it was against, but it was against a guy who was like, um, like a maybe it was against a John Lure caliber guy. I don't, I can't, I don't remember if it was John Lure himself or if he was even playing that. <laughs> but he basically Oladipo had to sprint over and close him out, and then plant and change directions to stay in front, and he couldn't do it. And this was. You know, probably early November, late Octoberish. And I remember like, man, he was like, he was stuck in the mud. He couldn't, he couldn't change directions to stay in front of a John. I think it was John Lord, but if it wasn't him, it was somebody of his level caliber. It's like, he couldn't do that. And I was thinking like, yeah, he just doesn't look right. Like I, I've been noticing little things like that here and there in games. It's so then I started asking the question, is he, is he okay? Then he sits out for 11 games, you know, because of the knee tendonitis. He comes back, but before he came, back we were in los angeles and that was the most surly i have ever seen him we were they were about to play well, well wasn't there is like yeah wasn't there like i think i might have actually been there for for that game as as a fan but like there's talk he was going to come back yes for one of those games and then he, he was like despondent that he wasn't ready yet yes right? yes that was the lh that was the trip we're in they were in utah phoenix and we we're in la and i think there's a fourth game that he missed sacramento or something like that and he was supposed so we yeah we thought he was going to play against the lakers and he didn't but that afternoon he was that was as angry as i've seen him and you know it was like i don't know if i'm gonna play it was very clear he wasn't gonna play like he just experienced something that told him you're not ready and and so you know and and when he finally came back he just looked that he looked the same to me like you know you have those moments of brilliance you're like man he's back he's back and then i'll see him struggle defensively i saw it more in defense than anywhere else i mean you could probably argue that you see it on offense because his jump shot just wasn't the same he didn't have the same balance the same lift the same it wasn't as fluid all the time as it had been previously i saw it more in a defensive end his recovery uh that second effort i didn't see that spring and um so yeah i, I think there's a lot to to be concerned about with him uh, and I think, like I said, even if he comes back and he's going to be at the old Victor, I still think they're going to be cautious with it. We may not know if he's the old Victor until we get to maybe around the All-Star break. And so I, I wouldn't even expect him to be great right out of the box. Um, you know, so, and that, and that's why I think if this team is about a 500 team, when, let's say Vic comes back, say, you know, 40 games into the season, if this team is 20 and 20, I think that's actually a good spot for them to be in. Cause you think, yeah, Vic, they got a lot of new pieces. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and if Victor comes back and is able to return anywhere close to form, I think you're in a good position. Uh, even though on paper it doesn't look necessarily good and people are going to be like, Oh, this is a disaster. I actually think that would be a good spot for, uh, f- for the team to be in with him coming back. And then, 
then cross your fingers that he doesn't have any setbacks. But I think you got to be really cautious and think of the long game here. And if you end up having to finish under 500 or miss the playoffs this season, even though that would be terrible for them, but if you're going to get Victor back at 100% as a result, I think it's worth it. Those short-term, you know how people are short-term. Everything's a disaster today. They don't really think about tomorrow. I think you really got to look look ahead. Because if, if, if Oladipo ends up never being the same again, or this is a recurring problem that ruins him, then think about how far the, the franchise gets set back then. Yeah, well, and uh, my concern, I think it's kind of similar to, you know, Tony Parker is the only other player I can remember who had this injury. He was different situation. He was 35, suffered at the beginning of May. He was back in, in November uh, the following year uh, so that then he could cast some aspersions on Kawhi Leonard later that, that <laughs> season for not coming back. Um, but I think these torn tendon uh, injuries, I think that's worse than an ACL. An ACL, you know, you're encouraged to bend it right away. You can start putting weight on it. You can prevent the muscle from atrophying as much. Whereas here, where you have just a total tear, and I mean, there's nothing for your muscle to be attached to so you can work it until it heals. You've got months, basically, of inactivity before that tendon is healed that you can actually start working the muscle again. So you, you're really, you lose a lot of muscle mass. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, this is the problem with the Achilles. A lot of people don't necessarily gain that back. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I think he could come back and be an effective player. But, I mean, what made him so ridiculous, I mean, he, he improved his skill level, to be sure. But, I mean, what was so ridiculous about him was just the way he was able to blow by guys in pick and roll in that 17-18 season. And, you know, I really question whether that is going to be back yeah yeah hey as somebody who's had uh acl reconstruction and achilles surgery on both legs i i can co-sign oh, on all those things um <laughs> yeah but yeah between us we, we should like uh, uh between us somebody must have like voodoo dolls of, of both of us <laughs> like, exactly I, yeah i i've like i i've had like basically every injury you could have other than like an achilles uh, yeah. as well so hey yeah you know uh, i i can relate to what boogie cousins went through with his achilles because yeah you, oh man you lose so much with that but yeah it's 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 true like the the, the i think the acl is 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 a lot easier to recover from you know if you'd asked me that you know 10 15 years ago i don't know if that would have been the case based on medicine but you know the way we've the recovery and the way the the sophistication of of, of, of you know the surgeries now because i had it i had two i had one surgery back in early 2000 and i had another one in 2011 2010 and it was completely different and the recovery yeah. was complete the recovery was far better the second time so it's you know and yeah and we don't know a lot about this but yeah i think you're right the whole tendon not allowing the rest of the leg to work that's part of it um and you know he's you know victor's just like his his that, that that's why i think even if he's able to get back to his level of being in that all-star level um it's still going to take a minute just because that ability to just blow by people and create that separation um you know that's going to require a lot of power and you know are you going to have that right off and is he going to have the confidence to 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 do that consistently right off the bat I, hey who knows maybe this whole thing makes him an even better shooter as a result and then you kind of slowly come along and you bring along the rest of your game uh the, the offensive explosion with it maybe you know uh you know i i, I don't know like you know it's i, I think there's there's something to 
uh, knowing the way that he works, you know, maybe he comes back a better jump shooter. And he's not a bad jump shooter on the move. He's not a really good standstill shooter, but who knows? Maybe he adds something else to his game, eventually gets his legs back 100%, and this is not a concern at all, and he's even a better player. But that's still, that's being really optimistic about the situation. I think it's something that we have to evaluate in, in stages as he goes along, because I think expecting him to be himself soon as he comes back, you know, that's not, that's not really, that's not realistic given, given all the, the circumstances that we're talking about here. All right. So I, we, we're running a little long here. I don't want to keep you for too long. So let's, let's do a little bit of a lightning run here. Okay. Let's start with the, uh, some of these bench options in the, in the backcourt and on the wing. So Aaron Holiday, mm-hmm. TJ McConnell, Edmund Sumner, Doug McDermott, Justin Holiday. That's actually like a pretty decent group of five perimeter players that project to come off the bench. Mm-hmm. How would you order those guys in terms of who's going to get the most playing time between Holiday, McConnell, Sumner, Holiday, and McDermott? I'd say Holiday, Aaron Holiday um, gets the most. Um, I think he's the number one guy. McC- yeah, he, he's he's the the backup point guard. Yeah, he's backup point guard coming behind Brogdon. Uh, is he ready? I think he's. I think he's ready, and he's 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 physically, mentally mature. He's really mentally mature. Very. Yeah. He's really. I mean, it kind of falls in line with the holiday, the whole holiday family. Incredibly. Yeah. You know, playing against your brothers who are older and who are NBA players already, I just think it kind of puts you mentally in a space that's beyond what most people would be ready for at this stage. He's mentally there. Physically, I think he he's a very strong kid. Um, yeah. But uh, he's this this faster tempo. I think he's going to flourish. That's what they need for him to maximize. What they were doing last year isn't how you maximize. When they need pace, the one thing that this team wasn't really good at was keeping a consistent pace. Halliday is good at pace, and now it seems like he has pieces around him on that team that are more that can kind of play with him. And so I think as a result, Aaron Holiday is going to be the guy um, that gets that gets a lot of uh, that gets most of that burn because I think he fits stylistically what they want to be. So I'd say Holiday. I'd, I'd bump up. Um, I'd say Holiday, McDermott, Sumner, um, uh, then the other Holiday, and then McConnell. Uh, I think that's the yeah. way, I think that's the way I would arrange it. Um, Justin Holiday ended up here. You know, I didn't think he was going to end up here for all summer. I mean, I've been. Yeah, it seemed like it was just kind of an afterthought, and they had the room exception. So hey, why not? It's yeah. his brother. We'll get some more depth. They're kind of kind of akin to the Kyle Quinn signing who they got with the room exception yeah. a year ago, who yeah. was the depth piece. They didn't really need him that much, but hey, why not get him on the team? It doesn't cost you anything, uh, you know, salary cap wise, if you're just using the room exception. Yeah, they had wanted him early in the process. And, you know, I've been putting, I've been reporting out there like, hey, man, you know, the Pacers really want to get Justin. Justin is pursuing other options. And those other options didn't come to fruition or slash didn't, weren't willing to pay him as much as he was going to get at that four, four plus million with the Pacers. And that's why at toward, he didn't come to terms with him towards the end because it didn't look like the they were gonna they were gonna come together on it like it was you know i was told several times like yeah he's kind of waiting it out and i guess things didn't break the way he wanted to elsewhere and you figure hey you know why not it makes it makes sense you know he can be a guy that plays you know every couple of games and maybe does some good things for you offensively in some of those spot minutes but uh but yeah i think that's a, i think that's a good offensive group versatile group you know and you know what you know a couple of, if one of those guys doesn't isn't playing well or playing his best game you at least have other options and last year they didn't really have that many viable options after you got past you know the first or second guy off the bench yeah i mean they really you 
could see a lot of configurations if holiday really blows up uh, maybe they play brogdon next to him at the two in some alignment yeah so or uh you know i mean if warren doesn't have enough shooting you could bring in uh, mcdermott or, or holiday potentially I mean, maybe maybe holiday could end up even starting at the three if warren you know looks like more of a a bench score type uh so yeah i mean they do have a lot of, of versatility there uh, I'm sorry we don't have enough time for you to wax poetic on how good Ed, Edmund Summer is. We'll have to, we'll have to save that for yeah. for another time. Uh, but yeah, I, I know you're high on him. And then uh, in the front court, do you think TJ Leaf is going to get any time at the four, or do you think it'll just be mostly guys like Warren and McDermott moving up at that backup power forward slot? Uh, I, man, that's a tough one. I think TJ Leaf is going to be kind of used similar to the way he's been used in previous years. Um, he's uh, is he any good? He, he's good in a limited limited circumstance he's um I think he's one of those guys, spot minutes, you need a burst, uh, you know, you need a burst of energy, particularly rebounding. Uh, he's good with posting up smaller guys because teams like to hide smaller guys on him. He's really good. That's the one thing, the one thing that he's good at that Miles Turner isn't good at. You put a small guy on him, TJ will get deep post position, spread his feet, turn into him, and he's a good second jumper. Like he'll get that second and third jump on the rebound to get the tap ins. He's really good at that. But he was kind of seen when he first came in as a spread big. And I think what I saw last season was a guy who's more of a closer to the basket. He's a better player than he is as spreading. Maybe he eventually becomes a good three-point shooter, but that hasn't happened yet. Uh, but I think he's better closer to the basket in spot duty when you just kind of need that, hey, you know, you need to get somebody a breather at the end of some quarters, at the end of the half, and or maybe you have a good matchup for him and you got to find the right spots to use him. So I think he can be useful. I just, based on the bigs that the Pacers already have on the team, I- I'm not sure where he fits in terms of the minutes. And if you want to play at this quicker, faster pace and have guys who can face up and boogie with it off the dribble, I- I'm not sure where he fits. Maybe he does fit as the only big on the floor with four of the smaller guys. Maybe that actually is a good match. I- I- maybe that's a good alignment for him where he can flourish. I just don't know because I haven't seen him in that position yet. Yeah, I would worry about that a uh- alignment uh, defensively um couple big strengths and weaknesses that you see for for this group overall i mean to me the strengths of ball handling as we talked about all the the, the the people now they have that can create their own shot run a pick and roll uh they'll be better i think off on one-on-one attacks um uh you know late late in games you know you look at that boston series you know they play too late into the shot clock settle for contested 20 22 foot jump shots uh so i think they'll be better at getting you know extricating themselves from those sort of situation uh so i think that's where they'll be best better at i talked about pace think they'll play faster more possessions which is going to be better for some of these younger uh some these younger guys to play quicker uh i still see i still see though the weaknesses you know if they don't run sabonis and turner together for a significant period of time and they end up splitting them the way we think eventually they will i mean i think rebound is probably going to be an issue again. oh it's, yeah i was just thinking of that that's going <laughs> to really be atrocious yeah so it's it's you know i, I think that that's still a glaring issue unless you know yeah and the east has uh has more size now uh you know and maybe we shouldn't be talking about that until we're talking about playoff matchups but but like there's a there are a lot more teams it seems like and you know and maybe that means that sabonis and turner can actually play together more but uh yeah i think that's gonna be a problem um for sure and just so over you know any kind of just defensive stopper on the wing i mean they're just they're missing that too yeah. that's really no doubt yeah no doubt it's gonna put a lot of pressure gonna put a lot of pressure on whoever's protecting the rim um to help cover some of those and so yeah it's no doubt rebounding and rebounding and defense um, is gonna be a real 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 tough one uh, so. i got another one for you too uh passing you really, I mean, Sabonis 
might be the only guy on this team that you would say is an above average passer for his position probably true yeah because yeah, may, maybe mcconnell would be the only other one because because that's all he could do is pass yeah <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you have, score. yeah you have a lot of guys who can who can boogie with the basketball but you know as much as i like lamb as the pick and roll ball handler he's normally creating for himself he's not creating for yeah. the people warren is a incredibly low assist guy uh brogdon you know is probably a below average passer for a point guard holiday is still you know maybe he could develop that but he's strike me as more of a shot creator yes as well he played off the ball some even in, in college too uh oladipo is you know okay uh as you know it, it, when you look at these guys who are your primary options i mean he could throw some passes but he's still more of a scorer so yeah it, it definitely you know miles turner probably needs to work on his passing too for if they're going to run more stuff through him so yeah that's uh it, that is a, a way that you could see how oh, they got all these shot creators uh but you know maybe they're less than the sum of their parts because they just don't move the ball that well and mcmillan's offense frankly has never been known for having a ton of creativity or ball movement either yeah and it's it's that's going to be the biggest challenge to me like you know can nate um can nate create uh an offense can he create something uh better you know he he, he says he needs better pieces in order to get a better offense a more versatile offense well this is going to be the time to uh to put up when he put up or shut up when it comes to because he's got some better offensive options and so you know that for me you're talking about key questions that's that's the biggest question uh one of the biggest questions for me can we Millen make this a better uh, can make that work can make this work offensively yeah because individually they are better offensive pieces but that doesn't necessarily mean as a team they're going to be better offensively and you know you, you're, you're spot on when it comes to the pass and I couldn't disagree I couldn't agree with that more all right let's uh let's do some predictions here uh i will start with uh my prediction for the pacers season i'm gonna put them i'm gonna say 44 wins for <laughs> okay. this group okay um i'm i'm concerned about oladipo's health he's not gonna play that many games i think it's gonna take them a while to feel things out on both ends i don't think that savonis and turner is gonna work together that well and they're gonna be committed to that at least early in the season i do expect them to improve obviously with the return of Oladipo as the season goes on. But like you, I say, if when Oladipo back, comes back, if they could be at 500, and I, I don't know like how their schedule breaks out in terms of how hard it is in the beginning and the end and stuff, but just you know, if they can play about the level of a 500 team given their schedule, I think that would be a win for them. I think they're going to be under 500 potentially when Oladipo comes back, and then you know maybe he can save them or just they have some improvement overall. But yeah, I, I think 44 for this group uh, is about where i see them and if i had to go in a direction i might actually go a little lower than that although again i expect them to be playing at a higher level than that by the time the playoffs roll around yeah i have them at 43 43 wins. um and a lot of the same things you know they can be a 500 team all that kind of stuff i i see this team it kind of like in a similar to me you have to look at them the way i looked at brooklyn last year a team that in the first half of the season didn't blow anybody away. You kind of really didn't pay much attention to them. You didn't think they were going to be that great. But I think this is the type of team with all the new pieces, new offense. You know, I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of things that we see early in the season that we won't see by the time we get to the middle part of the season. That's the bonus turners and starters. Uh, uh, getting significant minutes as starters might be one of them. Uh, that, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of mixing, matching, and changing some things up. Oladipo comes back um, and then provided that 
that he's going to be fine, I think they can slow build. And then by the time we get to that last month of the season, as you're getting ready for playoff positioning, they get better. They, you know, they're, they're more consistent and they have more of an identity. So, yeah, I, I could see them, you know, I think as long as they're not too far under 500 when Victor returns, let's say they only two, you know, two, three, four games under 500 when he returns and he's able to come back and make an impact, you know, that easily gets to me, it can get flipped. Uh, and, you know, then, you know, not only do you get a winning record and make the playoffs, but then it becomes what type of playoff matchup you get. Because, you know, maybe you're not a top four seed or top five seed anymore, but if you get the right matchup in the first round and you're playing at an optimum level, the way Brooklyn started to play last year, maybe you can end up surprising some people or catching being under the radar. I think this team works better, or at least psychologically, when it's kind of nobody's paying attention to them, um, more so than being a favorite that people talk about. So I think that kind of fits. They want to be under the radar, getting better where nobody's watching. And, you know, so I think this could be a 43, you know, maybe I'd be surprised if they ended up under 500. The only way I say they would end up under 500 is if Oladipo wasn't able to return to full, to, you know, his, his full ability. If that happens, okay, under 500 is totally possible. As long as Victor returns around the time they say he does and he's able to kind of slow build himself back into optimal form, I think that 43, 44 wins, very doable, get a good matchup in the first round, and, and who knows? You know, maybe maybe you don't yeah. win in the first round, but I put it this way. I think at the very least, you do better in the first round this year with this group than you probably did last year against Boston with that old group. Yeah, I think you're right there. And I think you know, as to talk about a best case scenario for these guys, again, just with Oladipo, just not going to play that many games. I think that's a little bit lower. You know, I might put that at maybe uh, 47, which, you know, I, I think I may think about this more. And at the start of the season, I might lower them from from that 44. Uh, but, you know, I think I guess the way that happens is you can say at least they have a lot of guys, Brogdon, Lamb, Warren, who you know might have a chance to flourish a little bit more are young enough to take some steps forward and that you know maybe miles turner can take another step forward as well and that that's that's really how they're they're able to do it you know i think that's that maybe that's how they're able to improve because again i just i'm not sure what oladipo can give them in the regular season what do you what do you see as the best case scenario for these guys um yeah the best case scenario i would see somewhere around up in there i would say about that 40 that 46 47 window um you know, I think that I think that's reasonable. Um, and I look, yeah, and maybe the, and maybe they wouldn't play off round. In that maybe they, you know, maybe they do. I, look, I think that's probably more important than anything else. If they can get out of the first round, hell, even if they end up forty-one and forty-one, somehow get out of the first round of the playoffs. They yeah. take well, they just they got to not be the seven or eight. Right, team. exactly, exactly. I, I, I mean, assuming it's Philly and Milwaukee right, in those right. first two slots because they're not beating those. Right, teams. definitely, exactly. I, I agree with you there. So yeah, so let's say you end up like a six seed like Brooklyn last year, and you're able to put a scare into somebody, and you know. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's very possible. And here, here's the thing: I think every time we go into a season, there's something that we expect to happen. Somebody who we expect to be good who turns out to not be good, and there's somebody who we're completely overlooking or not giving enough, uh, you know, attention to. Like, oh, there's always a surprise, at least one surprise that we didn't see coming. And there's always a guy who we thought was going to do X, Y, and Z who kind of underperformed. Um, and so I, I, you know, and like you know, maybe maybe Oladipo is the guy who comes back sooner than we thought. Maybe he, maybe. We, he plays more games than we think. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you though that you know, no matter when he comes back, if you're gonna, even if he plays more games than we expect. <clears throat> Is his minutes going to be starters minutes in most of yeah, those games? Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, he'll probably, yeah. I mean, he'll be limited at the beginning. I would be shocked 
if he plays more than 32 minutes in a regular season game maybe until the very end when they're trying to fight for playoff position yeah or something. And, and 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 doing that costs you a few wins and you know and it becomes uh so yeah i i see like that 47 range is a best case scenario i think that's kind of reasonable and I, so i say between 43 is my prediction 47 if certain things break the right way victor comes back earlier plays better than we thought and all these other things happen okay fine but um i i, I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility possibility for them to make the playoffs. I mean, I think making the playoffs in the East, you know, they're, they're still going to be able to do that. It's just a question of what the what the spot's going to be. Um, and yeah, if, 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 if these guys, there's just so many new variables variables with this team, it's really, there's a lot of fluidity on what can happen on the good side and what can happen on the bad side. Uh, I, I, but I do think, I do think there's going to be a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, M- McMillan signed his extension, got an extension last year uh, but I still think he has to uh, he has something uh, he, he's gotten what he want wanted in terms of the personnel and now he has to deliver from his side because you know the biggest the biggest issue I had you know I was talking to somebody with the Pacers uh, recently about this I said you know I, I still had issues with with that young spreading as a four last year and how they could not figure out him spreading to the three-point line the Boston series should not have been when you realize that was going to be an issue uh, they weren't going to guard him <laughs> yeah I, and, I, I remember they had one game in that series i think i want i can't remember it was game two or three where there was just a clear edict of like i don't care if you haven't been shooting them before you need to just shoot every single three i think that got up like six three-point attempts in that game like made one but like you know turner started bombing like do, do you remember that game or they're yeah. just like yeah i think yeah I th- you you need to just shoot it as soon as it touches your hands right at the beginning yeah and 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 i i remember because no nobody was look one of the coaches on boston um had said that they knew when they could when they got fad the ball in that corner and he hesitated on pump fake on taking it th- you know once you get if you get an open three you just got to take it you can't pump fake it and then take it you know your your chances of making it goes even down further like and that they were reluctant to take those he was reluctant to take those shots they knew that okay he's not he's not going to take them and they're they're hesitant to pull the trigger that they had him because that's kind of what Boston was 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 trying to do. They were trying to make him a shooter and and do something that he wasn't comfortable doing. And but yeah, they, they I, I can't remember the game. I would I would guess it was maybe game three uh, against Boston. Maybe we're talking about where that happened. Yeah. But yeah, they had to, and that that kind of was the problem. And and so because he's not good at he wasn't good at spreading to the three. You know, I was su- surprised they didn't make any ju- e- either put him in that dunker spot or short the pick and roll. Um, you know, short the pick and roll, um, you know, the way Toronto did so well with Pascal Siakam, uh, come up with a little bit more creativity there, said maybe you can make that young more useful. I didn't see the, 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 the Pacers did a lot of that in the postseason to counteract what Boston was doing. Um, and so, yeah, so as a result, that's why I say, you know, you know, McMillan has these better pieces who are more versatile. So I think part of it is also on him to kind of, you know, to make this work as well. Um, I think there's, yeah, I think- they got to get better offensively because they are going to be worse defensively. I think that's very clear. No doubt about it. I think you can take that to the bank. So if you're going to be playing with better pace, with better shooters, better ball handlers, if anything um – yeah, you sh- you should you know you should at least be able to get more points. And by the way, the game we were talking about was game two. That was the game that Thad took five threes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, worst case scenario for these guys, I'd say maybe down at thirty four wins. Maybe Oladipo isn't effective. He doesn't come back that early. Maybe the defense. You know, I I could I could see it quite possible that the defense 
could fall into the bottom half of the league. Yeah. Uh, you know, Miles Turner is good, but I mean, you're, and, and Brogdon is okay, but they do have a lot of holes on this team defensively. A lot of guys with the reputations of being more, you know, Lamb, Warren, kind of more one way offensive score types. It, McDermott obviously has never stopped anyone. So, uh, I, I think that could happen. And then, you know, you could see the offense being. You know, I mean, mean, you can even see the offense being below average as well with because while they do have some guys who can score, they don't have any elite shooters at any position and they don't have any elite offensive players. They have a lot of guys who can, but nobody who you're like, oh, man, this guy is like unstoppable who, you know, the other team is really bending their defense towards every night. So, you know, I I could see them falling down into the the mid 30s in wins very easily with with this group with the below average offense and defense. Yeah, I, I have them about 35, 34 wins is the worst case my biggest concern you know aside from what we're thinking about on the court is you know the who 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 runs the locker room now um and that, that's always been kind of a strength of the team and you've gotten rid of your that, that's the biggest i know for a fact that's the one yeah. thing that the pacers are the most concerned about uh there's no al jefferson as they were a couple seasons ago there's no thad young no darren collison no Corey joseph um hell you don't you and i even have oladipo to start the season in that locker room um, yeah. So if things start to go sideways early, you got to get the train back on track. Who's going to be the guy to do that? Um, and they don't have very many. Yeah, Bro- Brogdon, I think, is, is someone who's really well. I mean, they have a lot of high character guys, Brogdon, yeah. Turner, Oladipo. It's just a question of like whether those guys have kind of that assertiveness. Yeah, perhaps. they because, you know, when I go back to last season, you know, with Tariq Evans, who was great at certain. He was really good in certain stretches, even defensively. And then. You know, obviously, when he started having certain issues, you could see how his 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 game went down. Then in the playoffs, he he did some good things for them against Boston. But you know, Evans would not have been on the team if it weren't for Thad Young, Darren Collison, and Corey Joseph, because he he was almost released on like three occasions that I know of. And those three guys, yeah, just for like like missing practices, just being just a like just yeah. being a being a malcontent or not necessarily yeah. malcontent, but uh, he was just kind of pushing boundaries a lot. And if it weren't for those three guys, um, and Oladipo getting injured probably helped his helped his case to stay as well because they needed to have offense from somewhere. Uh, if if they didn't have those guys, uh, that that locker room, no telling what happens. And so I just, I think it kind of underscores how important those guys were to keep it. Our Evans was a good guy, a good person. People liked him, that sort of stuff. But he obviously was going to follow team rules. But you know, not that they had necessarily a guy like that on this team. If they do, I don't know who that would be. But if you had a situation, either like that or whatever it could be, that you need somebody to steady the locker room, um, missing three of those guys who can kind of help right the ship. If they don't have that last year, you know, our conversation right now is probably completely different because, you know, th- this team, this team would have went in the tank a lot sooner. <laughs> we would have known the team that we see, you know, they, they wouldn't have even, you know, they'd probably would have dropped instead of to the fifth seed. They may have dropped even further than that last season if it weren't for those three guys and their leadership alone. So they do have good guys. They do have good personalities in their locker room. I still wonder, do they have enough chemistry and are people going to listen to the newcomer in Brogdon if you are in that situation? I don't know. I mean, I would imagine TJ McConnell, I heard, is a really good voice in the locker room. I don't know a lot about him personally, but I've heard some really good things about him. So I would imagine he would step up in some capacity as well. But still, there's a lot of unknowns that we just don't know how some of these things are going to shake out. Yeah, you know, the more I think about it, 
I think I'm going to lower my prediction to 42 wins, like my overall prediction. <laughs> okay. okay. I just, I have to be more pessimistic than the guest. I can't, I can't abide. No, uh, I mean, because I, I kind of, as I started going through, I don't like it when my best case scenario, I'm way closer to either my best or worst case scenario with my overall prediction. Uh, and just starting to think about it, I'm just like, yeah, you know, like the, the party line is they're much better offensively, but, you know, Bogdanovich was unbelievable last year like i don't know if there's anyone who necessarily is like oh this guy's gonna be as good as bogdanovich now bogdanovich is gonna take a decline as well probably because he had a career year but you know who's gonna give them he was really efficient he, a great shooter you know mm-hmm. effective driver um and then you know the loss of, of young as well i'm worried about the defense i mean I, like I, I think that possibility of them being below average in both offense and defense is uh and certainly before oladipo comes back so you know maybe they are really a below 500 team without him so i i think i'm gonna i'll ultimately go with with 42 the more i think about it i'm like yeah you know what the, and this uh i'm not as impressed with this group because like you kind of did like okay in and out ah eh, you know the talent's pretty equal so all right i think i'll be the see them as about the same as as last year but yeah and then the sabonis turner thing as well you know i don't know that they're gonna have that much spacing with that group so yeah i think i i, I will ultimately go with with 42 with again you know the thought that uh they could be playing a lot better than that by the end of the season okay we, but I, yeah, as i really talked through it i kind of changed that. okay we better stop then else you're gonna drop into 41 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we better stop it. Anyway. I kept you here for 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 way too long. Thanks so much uh, for coming on. I appreciate it, and uh, looking up, looking forward to catching up uh, during the season. All right, Nate. Thanks, man. Anytime. At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.